our mission is to keep the tradition alive. It's up to us. It's our responsibility. Who else is going to do it? Hello, and welcome to episode 219 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Fallon, and with me, as always... It's Casey Brady, and... A very special guest, special friend of the podcast. It's a a box office draft episode, so you know he had to be here. It's Edgar Chaput from CutPrintFilm.com. How's it going, man? Very well. As always, uh, you are the most gracious gracious of hosts, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the show. I am so delighted. I've been planning. I've been waiting for this night all for the for a few weeks. Once I've known <laughs> that I was not going to win the summer box office draft, I'm just dying for tonight to start. Wait, yeah. who won the summer box office draft? Uh, we'll, get, we'll get into oh. that later uh, before the fall box office draft. But tonight. We're going to be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 to put a capper on the summer box office draft. We'll recap that bullshit uh, in a little bit. And then we will also be talking about our top five most anticipated fall films coming up uh, to go along with the fall box office draft. Of course, we'll talk about what else we watched and our final points. Uh, So, Edgar, you haven't been on the show since uh, Casey came back and we kind of did some minor tweaks to the format. What do you think? It's been very good. It's been very good. I mean, tweaks, I think, is the, is the operative word. I mean, the final thoughts segment uh, has been an interesting. It's sort of a nice um, uh, open discussion as opposed to maybe uh, the reviews. Uh, you know, the, the show is as strong as ever. Uh, it certainly encourages listener emails. Uh, yes, the final thoughts yes. uh, section. And uh, no, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I, I'm always listening a little bit to the show intermittently. I, I sometimes uh, I don't get to watch from start to. I mean, uh, listen to it in one sitting. But uh, no, it's, it's still solid. You guys are. I've always I've always enjoyed this show. I've always enjoyed it. All right, your paycheck's in the mail, Casey. Tell us what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is all about. Well, according to IMBD, it is about a group of intergalactic criminals. Uh, They are forced to work together to stop a fanatic warrior from taking control of the universe. Um, Mainly, though, it is about Peter Quill's meeting his father and the struggle between father and son. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sequel to the surprise smash hit that won me the summer box office draft back in 2014. Uh... 82% 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, highly anticipated for me. I think it was one of my most anticipated movies coming into the year. How about you, Edgar? I know, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed uh, the first one much like we did. What did you think of the original and uh, what was your expectations coming into this? Uh, well, it's funny you should ask. I mean, I uh, I did have fond memories of the first one. Uh been a few years, it's 2014, so you know, time flies. And I hadn't seen it since then, so it was actually a couple of nights ago. I, I rewatched it. I figured uh, I'll do this Casey Brady stuff. You know, I'll watch the first <laughs> one before watching the sequel. Oh, you should have uh, forgot to do that then. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, it's true. I didn't do a Casey Brady stop because I actually watched the first one. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> burn, burn. And um, very enjoyable. I, it's like I was saying, I had fond memories of it. And a lot of time had elapsed, so maybe my memory was a little hazy. But actually, I feel like I enjoyed it more a few nights ago than I even did the first time I saw it. Like, I think the first one is... As close to brilliant as it gets, as far as just extremely well-made, colorful, you know, uh, pop entertainment goes. I was I was laughing all night on my couch. It's a beautiful movie. I think the first one's great. So obviously, expectations for the second one were were pretty high. I tried to temper them, uh, but the trailers were promising. The cast was back. The director was back. He got a funky soundtrack again. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hide the fact that I was expecting it to be good. Yeah. Yeah. James Gunn back to direct. Great cast. Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, Dave Bautista, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillan, and then you add Kurt Russell into the mix. Casey, I know you were excited. I was very excited as well as very scared. Uh, as Edgar said, the first movie is just fantastic i'm really happy that you say it holds up because i would be scared that it doesn't i feel like when guardians of the galaxy came out although we've seen so many comic book movies uh guardians of the galaxy really stood out among all the other ones um it really was infused with a heart that uh that carried it through the entire movie um and i I was a little scared though that it was going to lose its heart in the second volume but we'll see if it does. <laughs> yes, um, I had it as you know second best blockbuster of that year, 2014. Edge of Tomorrow being number one, that genius piece of art as it is. Um, but I think it is the I've rewatched it as well. I I had it listed as my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film before I rewatched it somewhat recently, and uh, it holds up after the rewatch. Like you said, it it uh, you know it's bright. It looks good, sounds good with the soundtrack, great characters, just good world building all together, fun environment to play in, and um, I think the second one continues that tradition. I I enjoyed it a great deal. Maybe not quite as much as the first one, just, you know, the first one's always going to be, leave that nice first impression, and this didn't disappoint, but I don't, I wouldn't say it hit quite the the peaks as the first one did. Uh, Casey, what do you think? <laughs> we're, so, we're all so shocked by your reaction. Uh, yes. Bob, you, you liking a Marvel film? Heaven forbid. <laughs> I know. It's a stunning development. Uh, I would say I, I agree with you, though. It, the film, um, it's, a, it's a very decent film, I will say that. Uh, it has a lot of the same characteristics as the original film, but I think that's also part of its downfall. It tries to to lean a little too heavy on those characteristics, such as the soundtrack. Um, in the first film, the soundtrack was so very well integrated into the film, whereas in this volume, the soundtrack was so blatantly, obviously a, uh, I don't know, a, almost like a trope. It, they, were, they were trying to impress us again with the soundtrack when it didn't need to. Didn't impress you this time? Saint, it, well, I, I like the, the songs individually, and they... For the most part, they went well together, but it's the idea that just over and over and over again, they kept mentioning the music. Um, 
which is kind of the the part that makes me feel a little ill towards it. It's uh, it wasn't as well integrated into the film, and it's same with the the comedy, um, especially in the very beginning segment of the film. The the jokes were not landing at all, and they were they were just missing their mark. Whereas in the first film, every single joke, every single time, uh, was doing so well. In this in this volume, volume two, it was not. Uh, the, the comedy was not as well done. Hmm. I like the I like the soundtrack. I do agree. The first soundtrack is better, more iconic. But there's some good stuff on here. I understand what you're saying, though. As far as the humor, I kind of agree. I think they were slow to get their footing with the humor, trying to go back to the same exact beats. But I think once the movie got into it, it uh, I was laughing quite a bit as well. How about you, Edgar? Uh, I was. I think the second one uh, is it's a, it's a really really good movie. Um, I think Bob, you're the one that said you know it's hard to over it's hard to overcome that first impression you got when you see the first one, well, which is, which is true. I mean, Volume Two does give us a lot of more of the same, although the first one is so good that more of the same is still a really good thing. Um, as for the comedy. Uh, I maybe didn't laugh. I, I laughed quite a bit with Volume Two. Maybe not as much. I felt. I felt it was weird since I watched them back to back this week. Drax is he's pretty funny in the first one. I think he's hysterical in the second. I think Rocket is hysterical in the first one. He's not as funny in the second one. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I completely agree with both of those statements. Um, um, yeah, I was going to say Rocket just seemed to be lacking that that uh, charisma that he had in the first one. What, the funniest thing he had was like trying to wink and he doesn't know which eye he's winking out of. Mm. Yeah, that was a disappointment. But I do agree Drax was, was pretty funny. His, his interactions with Mantis especially, I feel like, uh, really yes. hit the mark. Oh, yes, very, very much so, very much so. But... There's on the topic of of the world building. I think that's where actually Volume Two does a lot of things very well. Um, insofar as we get to find out a little bit more about uh, Peter Quill, uh, aka Star Lord, uh, who you know, he's not really mentioned as Star Lord very much in this movie. That seems that name seems to have disappeared a little bit. But um, we get to find out a little bit about where where he becomes, and that's where the Kurt Russell character comes into play. And I thought that worked really well because you we got some backstory through the backstory we met a really interesting new character cast you know with a really great actor again an actor a lot of people love i i'm certainly a big kurt russell fan and and you know i will try to dance around spoilers but you know there's there's some solid drama that happens there and those 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 early interactions uh between peter and his father, as his father is sort of um, relating who he is, who Peter is, and maybe or maybe not what happened back on Earth, you know, when, when Peter was a kid. There's, there's some really good scenes there, like actually really well-written, well-acted dramatic scenes, which I wasn't expecting. So I think Volume 2 does get the drama down very well, much like the first one, in a different way. Uh, but but it does so very well, I find. Yeah, some literal world building involved there. But uh, mm, yeah, mm. I greatly enjoyed the interactions between uh, pretty much anything to do with Kurt Russell in this movie. I felt like was well done. 
even down to the CGI de-aging effect in the beginning of the film. Looked pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, love the father-son stuff. And pretty much a lot of the themes of the movie is just basically family and familial relationships between the team themselves, the Guardians, uh, down to Gamora and Nebula and their, you know, their father issues. You got Peter Quill's stuff with his father and with uh, Yondu as well. So a lot going and on there. Rocket and uh, Rocket and Groups. There's there's a little bit of a father son yeah. thing going. It's not as intense as those other parents you mentioned, but it's sort of alluded to. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you think of that, Casey? I mean, I, I do think the the best part of the film is whenever Kurt Russell was uh, on screen. I think one because of the idea. Well, first, Kurt Russell's just a fantastic actor. Um, second, the idea of the father son relationship always gets a lot of people involved. But then, third, I mean, hopefully this isn't too big of a spoil, spoil uh, or spoiler. But Kurt, Kurt Russell's character and what he is in the the Marvel universe is so intriguing, and we want to see what he's able to do. Um, and though we are, I, I would say his powers are a little bit limited. Uh, and not well shown in the movie, it's still the idea of what he can do really draws us in. Um, yeah, there, are, there are some other good uh, storylines to, to the film, such as Yondu and, and all that he's going through, and the, um, I, I can't remember what the race of alien is, but the gold people. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I can't remember either. I would say, in terms of visuals, that was probably the best part, is the, the gold alien race, and when you have these uh, fighter pilots who aren't really inside of the spacecraft and, and the way that the camera would go in and out of uh, positionings in the galaxy um, based upon the fighter pilots. I thought that looked really good, but in terms of storyline, obviously the best part was Kurt Russell. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know how much it says that we can't remember what you know they're called, but uh, I did enjoy that as well, like a video game aspect where they're just – they're trained to just, you know, play, shoot them up through a screen and with life and death on the line. That was cool. And then the, the Ravagers really had a step up in screen time with Yondu and his whole role. What do you think, Casey? Uh, Edgar? Yeah, actually, you know, what? one of the, um, one of the points that Casey brought up, the, the, the visual, I mean, my goodness, these two movies, um, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy volumes, Man, these are good-looking films. Like, you know, state-of-the-art state of special effects and, you know, so much money is invested in set design and costume and, and computer-generated imagery and cinematography. It seems like every week there's a beautiful movie coming out. But with respect to these movies, and, and you know, I'll limit myself to Volume 2 because that's what we're reviewing, um, there's so much colorful creativity going on here. Um, you know, explosions will be colorful. Just the planet that Peter's father lives on. Other, I mean, there's uh, several spoilerific reasons why why it looks the way it does, but it's a beautiful planet. The uh, Casey, you were mentioned the gold the gold uh, people. That's just a great visual. And then you get the extra gag that all these fighter pilots, but they're basically like kids playing an arcade game. Um, it, the movie just keeps on delivering again and again and again. There's a great scene where um, Rocket and Yondu are they're in a bit of trouble. They're 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 uh, imprisoned by some Avengers, but obviously they find a way to escape. And Yondu uses his little whistle 
arrow or whatever it's called. Yeah. And there's a particular moment where the arrow uh, pops a light bulb, so the screen goes dark. And then all the color is just like this bright red arrow just going through a bunch of (laughs) – killing a bunch of people. Just these little moments like again and and another and another and another uh, in the movie. I mean mean, honestly, James Gunn and and his crew that worked on this movie, it's great storytelling through visuals, uh, which I think – as much as I, I honestly, legitimately do think the Marvel movies, by, by and large, are really quite entertaining, um, I just feel like these Guardians movies are doing, are just kicking it up that extra notch. Yeah, uh, and it's all about that visual storytelling. They're doing it so well. Yeah, I love that weapon. It's almost too powerful, but it's so cool on screen and conceptually. But yeah, I think Guardians is basically like the benchmark of what Marvel movies can be now. Screw the Avengers. Enjoy them too, but Guardians is where it's at. I would say, though, I, just one point to bring up because I, I feel like it comes up in a lot of these superhero movies. You say that the, the arrow is a little too powerful, and it is. It's very powerful, but I love that they didn't shy away from the power of it. He's able to kill, you know, probably 50, 60 guys pretty quickly, right? But then I feel like, in contrast, when to go back to Kurt Russell, his power, he should be much more powerful. And yet you don't really see it, I feel. Um, yeah, he let his ego get in the way. And I think that's a downside to the film is, is that uh, the, the Power Rangers were very out of Power whack. Rangers is a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say, though, when it comes to the visuals uh, – I think I almost feel like someone else directed and wrote um, the first scene of the film um, because it was horrible. What? The visuals, the the very very first scene when they're they're fighting some kind of slime monster, um, the CGI looked terrible. Uh, uh, I yet, disagree. Yet across the rest of the film, the CGI looked very well, uh, very well done. Um, same with kind of the acting, same with the writing. It just seemed like such a different movie. And it is just kind of an intro uh, scene to get the credits rolling and so forth. Um, but I don't know. It, it After watching that, I actually, all of my hopes and dreams for this movie crashed. And then they got lifted up again as the movie was going. But it, it seemed like a completely different film from that first scene. I was actually going to bring the opening sequence up as a positive, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Wow, that's, um, that's surprising. It reminds me of Star Trek. Uh, uh, I, I want to say it was the second one um, when they were in a volcano. Uh, I like that scene, something too. Like that. <laughs> that was horrible, horrible. I don't um, know. I, I and loved, it feels just like this. I just loved the, uh, you know, you get this big monster there. You expect this big fight scene. But they turn it on its head and just follow Baby Groot dancing to the song. And you see the action play out in the background. I thought that was really creative. That part was nice. I'll, I'll say that that part I, I can appreciate. Uh, but the rest of the scene, scene. What's that? That was almost the whole scene. You barely saw the fight. True. It, the, and I love Drax, you know, <laughs> jumping in, thinking he, he's the one that killed the monster, doing something stupid. Like... I don't know. I, I love the scene. I mean, everything besides Groot. The, I mean, the, the 
you you could just tell, especially with I think it was Gamora, the way she was standing was so out of place compared to the background. It was just it, the editing was done terribly for that. Bad blocking. Um, it, it looked horrible. It truly looked horrible. Um, I mean, yes. Well, go ahead. Well, I think that sequence accomplishes a few things. It, it you know, big movie. You gotta say who's directing, who's writing, who's acting. So it gets the credits out of the way. It reintroduces us to the characters because we haven't seen them for a few years. Um, it's very colorful. Uh, it's very comedic. And you follow Baby Groot. And there's, you know, the first movie was known for its soundtrack. And, you know, there's a there's a, there's a song playing over the credits as Baby Groot is, is, is playing. And the reason why they're fighting this space slug or whatever it is, sort of plays into the next few scenes. That's why the golden people start hunting them down. So it accomplishes a lot of things. As to its quality, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I didn't maybe didn't love it as much as Bob. I certainly didn't see the the negatives uh, you did, Casey. But I, I sort of was admiring in hindsight, mind you don't know it as you're watching it for the first time, but in hindsight, all the little things that that like five minute sequence does, whether it's just stuff that any movie has to do like credits, or reintroducing characters, or getting back to what the first thing, the first film did well, which is music, uh, and laughs. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I do think it accomplishes what you said, but I think it does it in a poor way, especially for a two hundred million dollar budget. Um, for me, just visually, it it did not look good. I do like the punchline though of Rocket stealing those things and kickstarting the whole movie. That was pretty funny. Um, and when it introduced us to Baby Groot, you know, we hadn't seen him since he, spoiler alert, passed away at the end of the first one. He was reborn. Now, are, you, are you guys okay that uh, Groot was now a baby compared to his full size in the first one? Did you think that was a good change? I thought it worked well. I mean, they used it just enough. They didn't cram him down your throat necessarily, but he was... Uh, he was funny. I, I don't know if you really needed Vin Diesel to continue to do his voice at this point, but... Uh, yeah, I, that was weird, seeing him <laughs> his name in the credits. I know. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Baby Groot. I'm interested to see what Teenager Groot does uh, next time out. Right, spoilers for post-credit scenes. <laughs> um, but The sap um, will be everywhere. Right, right. Ooh, hula, hula. Um... Yeah, I, I, he's. I prefer. I prefer adult Groot. I, I like the Groot of the first film more. Uh, and one of my fears going into Volume Two was maybe cuteness overload with Baby Groot. Maybe call you know maybe it's the cynic in me. I I just don't need that much cuteness. But a little bit like you said, Bob. You probably actually you took the words right out of my mouth. They they don't abuse of it. He's there. He gets a, few, a handful of moments, but it's not the Groot show, uh, which I was thankful for. Yeah, could have got BB-8 syndrome, you know. I couldn't agree more, especially based off the trailer. It seemed like there was going to be a lot of Groot, uh, and they, they don't overdo it at all. Yeah, I agree. So we're on the same page there, at least. Yeah. <laughs> i got to ask, what would you think of the cameo Sylvester Stallone, though? Right. Uh, I have to say, at first, when I saw him on screen, I was very nervous. I was thinking <laughs> that it it was going to be like most cameos are, especially in these comic book films. 
Uh, I just didn't think it was going to work out at all. And I think they showed him just enough that he probably had not even an entire minute of screen time. Um, I was happy with it. It was fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of scared that he's going to play maybe a 10-minute role in the next one, and I don't <laughs> want that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I don't know how much his uh, acting style fits, but it's still cool to see him in a Judge Dredd redemption role, potentially. I'm, I'm uh, first, and, first and foremost, I'm not super well versed on, on my Marvel history, and, and forget me when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy. In one of the 26, you know, mid-credit scene, mid-credit <laughs> scenes, where the Stallone character come comes back, like the people he's tipped, let's do some shit. Like, is that like a real team from the comics, or is that just like a joke in the movie? <laughs> I do believe that it's the original. Guardians of the Galaxy from the comics oh, really? is that team oh. that they put together there. I think it was just a nod to the comics there. Interesting. I like the guy that like does a flame two thumbs up or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh you got gosh. Ving Rhames. You got Miley Cyrus as the computer voice. I did not even – I didn't even know that was Ving Rhames. <laughs> Dream Team. Yeah, Miley Cyrus and Vin Rames and, and, and Rocky, shit. Day one, baby, day one. <laughs> what, <laughs> what did you think of the whole Ravengers side plot with, like, Taserface as kind of like a side villain, you know, like the mini-boss? Uh, did that work for anybody? How about uh, Casey? I would say, one, the whole joke about his name being Taserface, that was just the dumbest joke in the world. Um, I wish they would have just moved past that. Uh, but the Ravagers uh, as a whole, I actually, I, I kind of like that storyline. I really, really like Yondu. Um, and so whenever he's on the screen, it, it, it's a good, good, it's going to be a good scene. I feel uh, he's really, really good in this movie. Uh, so I, I did like the Ravagers or Ravagers. How about you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty pretty decent. Uh, I was sort of surprised at how many of them turned on uh, turned on Yondu. I thought there was a little bit more um, uh, honor and um, and uh, respect to, to the captain of the ship. It feels like most of them are pretty ready and willing to to make him walk the, the proverbial plank. Uh, so that was that was a little bit weird, but cer- certainly the. You know the the dramatic reason why that happens is you know we find out that that Yondu maybe has you know the tiny the teeny weeniest bit of, of you know of a heart for uh, for for, for uh, what's his face Peter, Peter. yeah 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 um, and I think that's that's what develops out of that although I will admit that when they uh, speaking of walking the plank they sort of do make people walk the plank only in space. And they 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 toss them into the um, not the exhaust, but uh, I guess a pod a chamber, but but there's no pod, and they just shoot them out into space, and we see these just cadavers frozen in mm-hmm. in space. It's very very gruesome, which I mean, kind of ballsy for for a Marvel film, and and this one more so than the first one plays that trick a few times. You know, it's still in that. PG thirteen area, but you know, going back to Yondu's uh, death uh, arrow, 
like people were, like getting like their hearts shredded out <laughs> yeah. in that scene. Pretty brutal. Like, I was enjoying it because I, you know, I tend to gravitate towards more violent movies. But then you step back and go like, wow, like a lot of kids probably went to see this in the movies this summer. <laughs> so yeah, they, they pushed the envelope a little bit. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, as oh, you know, the great family Marvel Disney owned product, it's 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 pushing the envelope a little bit this. I will say you, you make a good point with uh, Yandu's kind of character reveal of how, how uh, he actually does have a, a, an affection for Peter. I will say this is one of the best Marvel films in terms of character development, character progression um, between Peter finding out who he really is as a person and where where he comes from. You have Yandu uh, kind of everyone realizing uh, that he does have a heart. You have Gamora and and her sister uh, developing their relationship. I thought all of these characters. Oh, and and Rocket. I mean, to be honest, Rocket's development was one of my favorite. Kind of how he goes from uh, him and Peter having this really bad relationship um, to by the end, Peter kind of you know seeing Rocket uh, in a different light. I thought these character developments and progressions worked really, really well, which I was I was surprised about. Um, usually, these kind of advancements in character characterization is usually clunky or, or sporadic. Whereas in this film, almost every single character progressed at least even slightly uh, and did so in a very, very fluent way. There's also the, the most important moral of the whole film, which is it's important to be beautiful. Uh, on the inside and not necessarily on the outside. And we have Mantis to think to thank for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just about to bring her up. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this uh, new character, Mantis. Maybe uh, more for just how she plays off of others than her traits of her own. But, yeah, a great character to add into the mix, uh, especially the stuff with Drax, like you said. He just completely insults her to her face so hardcore. It's rough. But you know they love each other. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Mantis, Casey? I, I love Mantis. I, I I do think her character is best uh, interacting with others. Standalone, she she probably wouldn't be the greatest character, uh, but especially working with Drax. It, I mean, her scenes were always pretty funny. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think that's when Drax was his best. Uh, Batista, uh, he's actually a better actor than I. I mean, most people give him give him credit for, especially when he was in. I think it was Iron Fist, the Man with the Iron Fist. I, I think it was. Yeah, it was one of his first movies. He doesn't do yeah. a lot in that movie. No, no, uh, but he's come a long way. Where as Drax, he, I mean, he delivers his lines very well. He has good comedic timing. Um, I mean, there are a lot of times when it's not there. There's there's some misses with his jokes, but for the most part, he was pretty funny in this film. And in, I mean, I do agree with you. He's probably not the, the best in the first film, um, but I think he still had his moments. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a perfect role for him. You know, it's uh doesn't ask him to do too much, but he does great with what he's got, you know? Yeah. So, um, I guess there was five post credit scenes or mid credit scenes. Um, they were all kind of inconsequential, except potentially the last one. Uh, slight spoiler alert if you're, you know, could be spoiled by a post credit scene. 
the gold people, they are pissed off at the Guardians, so they break out their secret weapon. It's uh, Adam Warlock. And uh, he's, <laughs> he's like this powerful, you know, character from the comic books. Uh, Extremely powerful. Yeah. I guess he'll probably be the big bad villain of the third movie. So, could be interesting, but did uh, anybody have any thoughts on any of the post credit scenes or maybe what we could potentially see in Volume 3? Uh, Edgar, I forgot. I need to um, specify who I'm throwing to. <laughs> no, I'm just fine. Don't, no worries, man. Um, yeah, well, again, it, that, that's one of those post credit scenes... It sort of reminds me of, uh, I mean, there have been so many Marvel movies at this point, I don't know what post-credit scenes were in which film, but it reminds you of the one that revealed uh, Scarlet Witch and the Fast dude. Like, I had no idea who those people were. I'm like, okay, I guess they'll be in a Marvel movie soon. <laughs> and then that, like, the gold, the gold people post-credit scene was sort of like that. I'm like, all right, I guess this is set up. I don't know what an, what an atom is, but... Fair enough. So I more I sort of gravitated more to the ones that were more you know character driven, like the teenage Groot uh, was very funny. Yeah, um, yeah. The Sylvester Stallone one was 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 pretty funny. I I thought it was funny, although I didn't know that it was actually a nod to the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, what are the? I can't uh, remember. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say yeah. So you're you're saying there was five of them? Yeah, there I was saw five. those three. Um, there was oh, the very very like the last ten seconds of the movie is like Stan Lee like sitting on the planet. I didn't get that one really. I didn't I didn't know what that was about. Oh, so I mean, there's a big big theory that he's. I think it's called. Uh, they're called observers. Oh yeah, um, watchers. Um, the watchers. Okay, uh, and that that's in a lot of sci-fi films. Um, but I mean, they're they're basically bald head men in the, the Marvel comics. Uh, and it's kind of assumed that he's one because he's everywhere uh, whenever a big event is happening. So they kind of just watch and record uh, history throughout the universes. Actually, I have a, a question you know, about Volume 2, but sort of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the comics, because you guys are clearly more well-versed than I am. Um, so we just, we just watched Volume 2 in which the... the Spoilers: The villain is a god. Um, now we're gonna now in a few months' time. Well, maybe a few months in about you know half a year or something like that. We're gonna be seeing Avengers three, where apparently let's face Thanos. Yep. Yes. You know, yep. The, like so, we just saw a movie where the bad guy is a god. Like, is Thanos really more powerful than this guy? Like, uh, so it. I mean, it all depends. Uh, the way. So he was a celestial in this film, um, and it, the way they kind of showed the uh, celestial was kind of weird. Uh, especially, it almost seemed like it was basically a big brain that could manipulate yeah. matter. Um, whereas that's not really what I'm used to a celestial being. Uh, but Thanos, um, yeah, you would think, okay, they beat a celestial or a god. I mean, Thanos isn't a god, so I mean. Just have Peter Quill kill him, you know. I think uh, the thing that Thanos- oh, sorry, the thing that's going to make Thanos so powerful is the Infinity Stones that he'll put on his Infinity Gauntlet, and each one of the you know like the 
the one the thing at the end of the first Guardians, it was Ermer's killed everybody, was so powerful. That's just one of the stones. So he gets five of those, and he can you know absorbs all these powers, and it, it's kind of um, uh, you know. Yeah, and in the comics, I'm pretty sure Thanos has killed a celestial before. Um, so he is uh, at some moments in the comics on par with celestials. So. Yeah, I'm interested. To, I'm kind of nervous because I, I feel like they might be getting a little too ambitious with this Thanos thing. I don't know if it'll ever be able to live up to the hype of like 10 movies worth. But, That's uh, insane. We'll I mean, see. I will applaud them. For doing this, like this, it is next summer. Like every, it, as I as I understand it, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe. every yeah. single character we've been seeing for ten years is in this movie. Yep, Spider Man, Ant Man, yeah, every, all of them. Doctor Strange, really? yeah, Guardians. Like the Guardians are coming to Earth. Fucking Ant Man, whatever the hell he's gonna be doing in that movie <laughs> against Thanos. Ant Man is like everybody's there. Everybody, yeah, like, it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be like insane. four hours long, probably. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, I'm, I'm super. I, I can appreciate where you're coming from, Case uh, or uh, Bob. Like the nervousness. Like, will it, will it live up to yeah, the hype? It's a lot of hype. But even if it's not. Like I'm ready for it to be not as good as it could be, but I'm but my like my fascination for this movie is gonna be at like an all time high. Like, what are they gonna do with all these characters in this one movie? Yeah, agreed. Uh, it'll be really a week. We still got a couple more. Actually, we have a couple Marvel movies before even that comes out. So we still got a few little uh, mini adventures. Uh, like uh, there's a Thor. Actually, the Thor might be coming up soon in this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the Black Panther, which has a great trailer. Yep. Um, but uh, and you know we'll all be seeing those. I'm, I'm psyched for those too. But man, Avengers three, what the f, man? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of flying under the radar right now. But that's less than a year away. So mm. in the last of the post credit scenes, I looked it up. It's uh, Kraglin, uh, Yandu's like understudy, trying to learn how to use the the oh, arrow mm. weapon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I remember that. So, yeah, not but very that, memorable. Yeah, that's, but it was funny. That subplot, you know, that's, yeah. that's that's fine. Yeah, for sure. All right, so final grades. What are we What are we going with for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Edgar? Um, I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine. I I was extremely satisfied when I saw it theatrically. I was extremely satisfied when I watched it last night. It's very good. It's among the best. Marvel films, if, if, if not fighting for that top spot, it's, it, it's at least fighting for it. And uh, just as a piece of entertainment, it's almost as good as it gets. Yeah. How about you, Casey? Um, I would say it's one of the best Marvel films, um, but that doesn't say much because Marvel is uh, <laughs> yeah, not sure. the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will give uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 a solid 8 out of 10. Um, I do not think it is as good as the first one. I don't think it touches the first one. The first one, I believe, I gave a nine, um, or maybe even a nine and a half. I don't know if it would hold up to a nine and a half. But uh, volume two, it's good. It's it's funny. Uh, there's very solid scenes, solid acting, solid writing. It looks very good. Um, but I don't think it it breaches that level of uh, excellence. 
All right, I'll split the difference and give it a eight and a half out of ten. I think it's just a, a small step down from the first one. I have it as my seventh best Marvel movie, um, behind Guardians One, Original Avengers, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Captain America: Civil War, the first Captain America, and the first Iron Man. But it's definitely in you know the top half. It's definitely one of the better ones. Isn't it crazy, that first Iron Man movie? Like, that was such, like, a tiny film. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a really good one. I still have very, very fond memories of that first Iron Man movie. Yeah, if that thing didn't succeed, then uh, we wouldn't have none of this. So, Mm. yeah, lower stakes, but still solid film. Yeah, I'm happy with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and I'm looking forward to the next one. So, let's turn our attention now towards the autumn which is coming up tomorrow marks september 1st and uh fall movie season is usually when you know a lot of the best stuff comes out for awards season and such stuff like that you got your star wars of course um let's talk about our top five most anticipated fall films uh, going through this you know looking up what's coming out did uh did you have a tough time coming up with the list, Edgar, or was it just, you know, here's, I know what I want to see, and here it is? Um, it was a top five list of most anticipated movies. It's not exactly a strenuous exercise, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's interesting when it comes to the fall. It's not like the summer where it's like, oh, there's a Guardians movie. Oh, there's a Wonder Woman movie. Oh, there's an Alien movie. You know, the fall is a little bit different because... There's a little bit of Marvel, there's a little bit of, of Lego, but there are also these more, you know, the, the, the fall movie season lets the industry be a little bit more original, a little bit more daring at times, you know, provided the movies are good. So, and that's what I like about it. I mean, I love going to the movies, doesn't matter what time of year, but there's something a little bit refreshing about the autumn, the autumnal season after you know three three and a half months of uh, 200 million dollar blockbusters like every single friday um so i i actually enjoyed uh making my list and there are a couple in here that you know they're not the biggest movies uh so yeah and i i didn't have too much trouble cool yeah i mean and another thing i like about the fall is that i mean you're more than more likely to get something that just comes out of nowhere and you love that you didn't even know about, I don't know, a month or a couple of weeks prior, too. So, you know, we have our, our list of most anticipated movies, but doesn't necessarily mean it'll be what we end up loving. Well, how about you, Casey? Uh, I actually, I mean, there's so many good movies that, uh, or possibly good movies, that are going to come out this fall. It was really hard to order them. Yeah. Uh, I had, like, a list of maybe, like, 10, 15, and then to narrow that down to five and then order them. I thought that was a little difficult, but uh, there's definitely a plethora of, of possible good movies coming out. All right, so then kick it off. Tell us your number five. My number five uh, is actually, it was a kind of a surprising one that I, I picked this, um, but I haven't seen a good horror film for a while, or I haven't really wanted to see a good horror film for a while, uh, but it is possibly going to be a fantastic horror film that I'm, I'm really excited to see. Um, I remember watching the original, and, and I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So it's a little surprising that I'm so excited to see it. I mean, I've been watching trailer after trailer. They just keep coming up. Uh, wait, wait. 
What did I miss it? What you, what movie? It. Uh, Stephen King's It. <laughs> when he said, when he said, who's on first? It's gonna be a big movie. It almost sounded like what's gonna be a big movie. <laughs> yeah, I I call what you're um, saying, but yeah, that, that is completely my fault. But uh, yeah, Stephen King's It. I'm I'm just really really excited for it. Um, yeah, I think it uh, it. It's definitely getting like the trailers. They've really set up the marketing far out from it, so I think they're pretty confident with what they have. It's not on my list, but I am interested in the movie. What's your I, number I five? Oh, I sorry. Admit, it. I'm like impressed me. It's it's the hype. The the early the buzz is out. It's really good. The trailers do nothing for me. So I'm like I'm gonna sit back there and go like impress me. I'm I'm not sold. Yeah, really? I, yeah, I agree. The trailer was completely overhyped. Are you serious? That's I think the complete opposite. The trailers are, have enticed me really to watch it. Um, I mean, I get jitters every time I, I see it. So, well, the original one, made for TV, is the scariest movie of my life. So, not even slightly. <laughs> As a kid, it was like the movie that terrified me more than anything. So, gonna be tough to beat. <laughs> What's your number five, Edgar? Uh, my number five, I think it comes out in mid to late October. It's called The Snowman, which on the topic of movies that I find are being poorly marketed, I think this is being poorly marketed. I saw the trailer in front of something recently, oh, yeah. and it's really not a very good trailer. It's it actually, uh, it's my number four on my list. I am there you go. very I mean, excited. You've got the Fastbender, uh, the Fastbender effect, or whatever you called it on Twitter, Bob. Fastbender. <laughs> Fastbender Factor. Uh, uh, you know, I love a good murder mystery. I love a good psychological uh, psychological thriller. Um, I like the wintry setting. Maybe that's the Canadian me. I don't know. And uh, it's it's a really bad trailer. Uh, I really didn't like it, but I figured the cast is so good. I like the concept so much. Uh, I like the cast so much. I'm still gonna. <laughs> I'm still excited for it. I mean, the uh, best part, though, is the director is Thomas Alfredson, who yes. directed Let the Right Ones In. Yes. Um, and, I mean, his, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And it's in a snowy setting, which makes me so excited because he knows what's, what to do with uh, snowy settings. Yeah. <laughs> he also made Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which, while a movie that I didn't love, I can respect, it, especially the mm. way it looks. And he's really thoughtful when he's making a film and... Yeah, this is an honorable mention for me. Fastbender Factor is fierce in this one. Uh, yeah, good choice, good choice. My number five is something a little more mainstream, but as much as I love Spotlight a, a year or two ago, I feel like this one has potential to be maybe as good. It's Steven Spielberg's The Papers, um, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. I think it's a... Mm -hmm. A similar story of journalism and trying to get to the bottom of the, uh, what is it, uh, Richard Nixon Watergate fiasco, if I'm not mistaken. It's uh, Spielberg's next film, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, hold on. What is it about? <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob saw Spielberg, Hanks, Streep, and said, top five. <laughs> yep. I just know it's like a you know a process driven journalism movie, 
Uh, it says, Ben Bradley and Key Graham of the Washington Post challenged the federal government for the right to publish classified information in 1971. I don't know why I thought it was Watergate scandal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but either way, it's my number five. <laughs> Casey, the snowman was your number four? It was, yes. All right, so Edgar, your number four. My number four, actually, funnily enough, we're going to stay with the stick with the wintry setting. Uh, it comes out October 6th, if I'm not mistaken. It's called The Mountain Between Us. Really? Uh, Kate Winslet and, and uh, the, the, <laughs> the would-be Bond, Idris yes, Elba. Yes. Um, as two people, I think she's a photojournalist. He's a doctor. And for whatever convoluted reason, as, as these movies I want to do, they take a little charter plane and uh, they're, they're over Alaska. I'm not sure where they are. And the plane crashes and they have to uh, fight to survive in order to get back to civilization. I mean, I love those two actors. I'm a huge Idris Elba fan. And uh, I, I like these ideas. It sort of reminded me of... Um, What's that Liam Neeson movie that came out a few years ago where they're in the woods? It's a plane crash. <laughs> lost in the woods, and they're chased by animals. Oh, um, yeah. So I just gravitate towards these movies. Um, I'm really we- surprised. I feel like this movie is going to be so boring. Uh, <laughs> just like looking at it, I, I saw – I read a description of it, and I thought, oh, no one would ever pick this for their top five, but – well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like everybody else, Casey. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, and I saw the trailer. I'm not a trailer man, but obviously to do a top five, I have to start watching some trailers. And, yeah, no, I, it looks pretty decent to me. And I like these survivor stories. And and uh, anytime uh, Idris Elba gets to not, not save the day, I guess he's saving his own ass in this one. But, uh, no, I'm down. Did you see Everest? I don't think I saw that, no. I'm getting Everest vibes from this movie, which is a movie that was it was okay. You know, uh, it had its moments, but ultimately it was kind of forgettable. I mean, I like Winslet and Elba. I think it looked good, like visually, um, cinematography-wise in the trailer. But I don't know. I'm, I have a skeptical eye. I just I feel like this could have a, a big risk-reward factor here. I think it's either going to be very good or kind of just mediocre. I will. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys know uh, when we do the uh, summer box office draft in like seven months from now. <laughs> there you go. All right, my number four, a small movie that is being excluded from the fall box office draft. It's uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. For me, there. This uh, is. Per- I thought this would be my number one or number two coming into making this list, but. For whatever reason, despite loving The Force Awakens, being a big fan of Rogue One, being ecstatic that one of my favorite young directors, Ryan Johnson, is taking the helm, uh, the trailer looks great, but for some reason I'm not feeling the hype yet for this. Uh, I just, I'm having a hard time seeing what, based off what we've seen, where they're going to take this to kind of take it to the next level and really make it be one of the best Star Wars movies to date. Uh, I think it might just be, you know, that it's a little far out to really get psyched about it, but I don't know. There you go. I'm sure you guys feel a little bit differently, but for me, it's not reaching epic levels of expectations the way The Force Awakens was leading up to it. 
Uh, go ahead, Casey. I mean, uh, I mean, it's a Star Wars film. I, I think we all know what's going to, like, what what it's going to do. I, I mean, not too excited, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Didn't make your <laughs> list. Sorry, Should I just say, now? of course it's my number one. <laughs> I'm so excited. I mean, last year I waited five hours in line to make sure I had the best seat in the house. I'll wait five wow. hours in line for this movie. Like, I'm super excited. I, mean, I, I enjoy, I'm not, I'm not the Star Wars fan I was when I was a kid in the team, but I still like Star Wars. Do you guys, are you, and maybe this is why it's not your number one, are you guys feeling the, and, you know, when Disney bought this and announced, oh, there's going to be a trilogy, oh, there's going to be spinoffs, it suddenly became, oh, we're going to get Star Wars super regularly right now. It's not going to be this special thing anymore. Are, are you guys feeling that? I'm, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just like an honest question. Are you guys starting to feel that a little bit? Okay. So I, I do feel that, I mean, as soon as I heard about all the spinoffs, it's, it's purely about money. Um, that's all it's about. And as much as everyone likes to criticize George Lucas, for him it was not about money. I, 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 I have no belief that he cared enough about money to lose the integrity of the Star Wars films. Um, Disney possibly will. So far in the movies they have released, I, I, I think the quality is good enough that um, that that uh, kind of idea of them just doing it for the money is it's put aside for right now. Uh, I mean, I, of course they're still doing it for the money, uh, but they're still using quality to get the money. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling the burnout quite yet. Uh, maybe more so with these spinoffs. Like I'm not super excited for the Han Solo or the Obi-Wan, you know, solo movies. But when it comes to like the mainline, you know, uh, episodes, solo movie. that's awesome. <laughs> Uh yeah, I'm 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 still excited for these movies, but maybe that is what it is kind of creeping in the back of my head here where it's not like, you know, will this be the last one we ever get? Most definitely not. No. And I and we'll have, we'll have so many more. Uh and and that, I guess that is a good point that I mean, knowing that so many are going to come out, you might not be too excited, but I it makes me more excited. It makes me think that okay what is the next part of the the universe that they're going to expand upon whether it's back in like the old republic time where are they going to do something way past the battle of yavin like what are they going to do next makes me excited but why aren't they that's and i'm not referring to the saga stories those those are pretty we only have one new one out of a trilogy you know we'll see what the next two get but so far it's on pretty solid ground um what about those spin-offs that's what I thought they were going to do yeah. when they announced those things. And I think they still it? are. I think they're just trying to get their footing. Oh, come um, on. They're pandering. No. I mean, they might be. But I, I do think it is partially that they need to first um, make sure they reintroduce Star Wars with characters that everyone knows. And then they'll, they'll go beyond. Yeah, I'm, At least I'm, hoping. I'm just I wanted to see them do different stories, world build a little bit, not just retread everything. But we've been over this before. Star Wars spinoffs suck. It's all about the saga series. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've 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 never hidden the fact that I, I think Rogue One is an awful, awful film. Uh, what? I, well, anyway, I feel like you just put a yandu on me. I feel like I just got. <laughs> 
shot through the heart with an <laughs> arrow. Rogue <laughs> One is not an awful film by any means. Is it one of the worst in the Star Wars franchise? Sure. But the no. Star Wars franchise is pretty strong. The prequel trilogies are the worst movies in cinema history. So, No, they're not. <laughs> You're, they, they hit the market that they were aiming for. Yeah, the ground. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I did actually catch like a half an hour of Rogue One on a rewatch, and why I greatly enjoyed that movie the first time around. First 30 minutes on a rewatch, wasn't doing it quite as much as the first time around. But Really? I mean, the first opening scene is fantastic. No, there. yeah, you're right. I love the opening scene. I was getting a little bored after that, though. But I know it ends strong with the the last hour of that battle. So, Edgar, I mean Casey, what's your number three? I'm all out of sorts here. Ah, so my number three is The Shape of Water, uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, new sci-fi film. It has Michael Shannon in it, uh, which is pretty darn exciting. Um, Shanster. Yeah, after seeing uh, the trailer. Uh, it, it, it's got me really excited. It looks like he has gone very classic uh, sci-fi style. Um, it looks like it could be made in like 1950. Uh, uh, and even the kind of the story about how there is this alien that's being kept captive and studied and so forth. Uh, it just feels like a very classic sci-fi film, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. I mean, Del Toro is a fantastic director. Other Especially than uh, sci-fi, other than Pacific Rim. Oh yeah, I mean, that was a big. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't watch the trailer for this one, but I know like initial reviews are out and they are outstanding. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Honorable mention. Yeah, no, it looks really good. I I did see the trailer. It played in front of something recently, and uh, I didn't even know he was making a movie. Like I didn't know what Del Toro was doing, and then this trailer starts from the mind of Del Toro. I'm like hold on, wait, what's going on? And, uh, yeah, no, it looks really, really good. I forgot to put that on my list. Let's call it an honorable mention for me, too. Cool. Yeah, great choice, Casey. What's your number three, Edgar? Uh, my number three, actually, I think it comes out next week or in a couple weeks from now. It's called Mother. It's the uh, new film from... Um, Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky, yeah. And uh, has uh, my girl J-Lo and uh, <laughs> Javier Bardem as, as a couple. They're a married couple and they, they, they're sort of making their house. Uh, the trailer does a decent job of showing you that some really weird crap is going to happen, but not exactly what's happening, which is what I like about the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks – there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a Rosemary's – baby vibe going on maybe although there doesn't seem to be a, a baby in the family um but it looks it looks very creepy uh i love aronofsky's work uh that trailer has me sold maybe it'll be a piece of shit but man that is a good trailer and it, it i think it has is coming out on the 15th so in two weeks from now yeah I'm, it's my number three as well i'm super excited for it a uh, huge fan of Aronofsky's work, minus The Fountain. Uh, I even liked um, Noah quite a bit. But I saw the, the trailer for this in front of Dunkirk a few weeks ago. And just the trailer alone gave me like some anxiety, made me uncomfortable. So hoping the whole movie can kind of turn that up to 11. Like I, I got the Rosemary's Babies vibes as well. 
Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, she's great. Javier Bardem, he's great. Ed Harris, uh, what? Uh, Cindy Crawford, oh, no. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, that's who it is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it just seems really, uh, really creepy and uh, really good. But all I really needed to hear was Darren Aronofsky, and I would be in automatically. Have you seen Lawrence. anything about it, Casey? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I knew it was coming out. I, I knew, I knew kind of the. the storyline slightly uh am i excited for it i'm not super excited for it it didn't make my list by any means but uh i will probably probably go watch it when it comes out just i'll wait till it comes out on dvd fair enough what's your number two my number two uh is a movie uh actually (laughs) it's it's surprising that i picked this one even more so than it because the first one is not the greatest film by any means, but the visuals are outstanding. And I'm expecting the same with this film, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I mean, are, are you guys uh, – did you guys ever watch the original Blade Runner? It's uh, This is honorable mention for me. I watched it a few years back here in you know, one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, and I was very disappointed in it. Uh, kind of like the Mad Max movies when I finally watched them. You know, could appreciate things here and there, but didn't love it the way I was expecting to. But uh, I am excited for the sequel because got my boy Ryan Gosling in there. You got Denny Villeneuve. Looks amazing. Yes, I, I can't think of who the cinematographer, Roger what, what his name is. Roger Deakins. Uh, yeah, who does a lot of the Coen Brother films, uh, which is very exciting because the Coen Brother films uh, are some of my favorite um, of all time. And the original Blade Runner visually was outstanding. It was so stunning to watch. Uh, even in today's uh, world, I think the visuals stand up. Um, obviously not as amazing as, as some films that we have today, but... I think Blade Runner uh, 2049 is going to be incredible visually, and I think they are going to try a little bit harder on character development and uh, storyline. Um, it's my number two as as well. Um, I'm a big fan of the original. I always have been. Uh, I, I've seen it a handful of times, although I'm due for a rewatch, and what, what better occasion than the sequel coming out? Um, I don't have a problem with the plot in the first one, but again, I'm sort of a detective cop thriller noir fan, which is basically what Blade Runner is, but it's a sci-fi version of that. Uh, so I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, if, if <laughs> I'm going to say this and yet it's my number two most anticipated, I did, I had no choice but to see the trailer because it played in front of something I saw recently. And I feel they're going pretty big with this movie, whereas the first movie is small, comparatively speaking, plot-wise. Is that the right choice? We'll find out. Uh, The movie's coming out in about a month's time, and I'm definitely going to be there on opening weekend. But, um, yeah, it's... it's, uh, And it's Denis Villeneuve, who's who's directing, who's on one of the hottest hot streaks uh, you can think of with with his past few movies. Uh, hopefully, this is not the one where he stumbles because he's a great filmmaker. He has a great cast, and it's a sequel to a classic. So it'd be kind of a shame if the hot streak came to an end with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But I mean, hey, it's my number two, so right on. 
Yeah, I mean, that trailer in IMAX in front of Dunkirk was just incredibly beautiful to watch. So I'm hopefully the, the entire movie is that way. It's a good choice. Uh, my number two is Thor Ragnarok. A, uh, a Marvel movie, not surprisingly, but what is surprising is that I'm not much of a fan of the first two Thor movies, but I gotta say, this movie looks incredible. Great trailer. You got Thor buddying up with uh, the Hawk, the Incredible Hawk. You got Kate Blanchett looking awesome as a crazy villain. And you got directed by the guy who made Hunt for the Wilder People and uh, what, what We Do in the Shadows. So... Bring something to the table there comedically. Uh, it's only like an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes, which is a big refreshing surprise for one of these types of movies. And uh, I have a feeling it's just going to be get in, get out, do its job, be uh, be fantastic. What do you guys think? I didn't realize it was going to be that short. Um, I, th- I do agree with you. I think that's going to be kind of refreshing, uh, especially with a lot of these comic book films going longer and longer. Uh, I mean, this is, I, I'm pretty sure the storyline is basically World Breaker Hulk. You know, he's on a different planet as a prisoned uh, gladiator, yep. and he, he gets free. Um, it sounds awesome. I, I know a little bit about that storyline, uh, and so I'm pretty excited about it. Cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's I'm, I'm obviously down. I've been fortunate not to see the full theatrical theatrical trailer for whatever reason that actually hasn't played in front of anything i've seen but i did see the the teaser where he sort of goes into a gladiator arena and the yeah. hulk comes in and like to everyone's surprise he's like super delighted yeah we're uh, friends friends from work <laughs> like that, yeah. that was a very funny moment so if they can inject a bit of that into that because uh, i'm also not the biggest uh, fan of um certainly not the second one i thought that was awful yeah uh, i can't remember what it was called but the uh, dark world uh, yeah, uh, but no, this one looks pretty good, yeah. I think uh, Chris Hemsworth is actually good as the character. I like him in the Avengers movies when he's like more supporting character, but yeah, he so far that character hasn't been interesting enough to support his own film, which is why they threw Hawk in there. Um, Casey, your number one was Star Wars, of course. Of course. Uh, Edgar, what's your number one? Most anticipated movie? Well... You guys know me. I'm I'm the Bond guy, but there's no Bond movie coming out this year. What's uh, the Bond knockoff? You, you, you go for the next best thing. <laughs> uh, my most anticipated movie of the fall uh, is Kingsman: The Golden Circle. But in in fairness, I you know I, I introduced that playfully. I really did enjoy the first one very very much. Uh, ex- excessively violent, um, but very funny. Uh, I like the concept. I like this tailor shop, uh, which is actually a front for a, 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 a spy, uh, a, a web of spies. Uh, the, the, it's not alluded to in the first movie that this is an international thing, but apparently the statesman exists, and, and that seems to be what this sequel is about in large part. Um, I, I love the character of, of uh, Eggsy. Uh, good, good young actor there who hasn't done much since the first movie. Yeah, I'm uh, surprised. Taron Egerton. But uh, you got Halle Berry, you got uh, Jeff Bridges, you got uh, Julian Moore, who plays the villainess. Uh, you got uh, obviously uh, what's his face, the bald guy who plays. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. 
but uh, yeah. it, it looks like a lot of fun. Looks like a lot of fun, and uh, I enjoyed the first one. If I get more of the same with a little bit of a uh, little bit of lasso, you know, with the American cowboys, I'll I'll, I'll go home a happy camper. I, I love the first one, and um, yeah, so this is the Kingsman: The Golden Circle. It's just a few weeks from now, the twenty second. Casey, did you review the first one with me? I want to say I did, um, I, but either way, the first one was. So it was surprisingly a, a very good movie. It was super fun to watch. Uh, and yeah, there was definitely some major flaws with it, but it, it, you overlook it because of just how how fun the ride is to watch this film. And I think the best part is all the violence that like they they didn't hold back even slightly, uh, which was great. Yeah, I feel like the best part of that movie is the pacing. You know, it never lets you get out of it. It keeps you invested the whole way. I didn't love it, but I it's a very entertaining film and I the trailer does look good for the sequel, so can hardly blame the James Bond guy on that pick. Did you hear the big James Bond news about no, Daniel Craig? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. No. <laughs> well I mean for people who don't know, uh, Daniel Craig <laughs> is reprising his role. Is anyone surprised by that? Come on. I actually no. am. I thought he was done. I thought he was he was done with it. That's he doesn't seem like an uh, actor who wants to keep playing the same character. Negotiating tactics are us. Um, possibly. I the there was about like a one month span where I thought he wasn't coming back, and that's when they announced the release date of the next one without saying who was playing Bond. I thought that was a really bad sign. And then a month later, he says he's doing it. So I, I was skeptical for about a month. I just remember when Christopher Nolan was doing his interviews for Dunkirk. And, of course, he's always said he would love to do a Bond movie. So the people ask him that, and he said, well, I'd be more than willing to do it. But I want it to be, you know, a recreation. I don't. So once Daniel Craig's not involved, maybe I would do one. So that, to me, said, well, then Daniel Craig must be involved, or that would be your next project. Potentially, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of. Uh, I mean, obviously, because I'm the Bond guy, I sort of know how they do their business. They're very, um, uh, well, not to get sidetracked here, but they're very. It's very. It's a very in-house operation when they make Bond movies, and it's my understanding that Christopher Nolan likes to have like uber creative control over his mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm not sure how that would work. I'd love to see him try, believe me, but I'm not sure how they would negotiate that. Yeah, well, he he's trying already. He tries to insert that kind of stuff into all his movies and it usually is very effective like the plane sequence in Dark Knight Rises and yep and the the, the, the snow uh, snow mountain sequence in Inception all of that that's all Bond stuff yeah that's all absolutely Bond. it's great uh, my number one is a movie I don't really know anything about but what I do know is that it's by my favorite director of all time Paul Thomas Anderson his next film, Phantom Thread, comes out mm. at the end of this year, and it's also starring Daniel Day-Lewis in his final acting performance, or so he says, before he retires. And this is the team that gave us, or gave me, my favorite movie of all time, There Will Be Blood. So mm. I, I think it's something to do with uh, a period piece in the 70s, and I don't know. That could be wrong as well, but... Something to do with uh, fabric uh, salesman, maybe. 
think it's in the, the fashion industry. Yeah, fashion it? industry, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, he, Daniel Day-Lewis, is, he, he is creating wardrobes for um, the king and queen um, of England. <laughs> he's actually, he's so method, he actually is retiring from acting in order to pursue a career in fashion <laughs> design. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, PTA is incredible. I think he's batting a thousand as far as, if not masterpieces, at least incredibly good movies, so... Oh. Bring it on! It, but isn't it always like this when a PTA movie comes out? Like we're just a few months away and nobody knows what happened. Yeah. Like I didn't. What, I didn't know what the master was. I didn't know what um, inherent vice uh, vice was. Uh, like nobody knows what he's doing on these sets. But I know he's out with a movie, so everybody gets excited. Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Any honorable mentions? How about you, Casey? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a couple. One is downsizing. Um, yep. The story for that is crazy, so I can't wait wait to see uh, how they do that. It, it basically, uh, they uh, Matt Damon and uh, Kristen uh, um, with they're basically going to get rid of like they're going to shrink themselves down to a very very small size to kind of get away from their life. But then all of a sudden, Kristen Wiig backs out, and Matt Damon is the only one who shrinks down, and he's kind of left alone uh, as a result. Honey, I shrunk myself. Yeah, exactly. It sounds uh, like that. So that, that's the main one. Uh, Murder uh, on the Orient Express. I love those type of films. I think we talked about it briefly yeah, last a podcast or two podcasts ago about it's basically a murder happens on a train and it's a who who did it kind of film. Um, those are the, the two honorable mentions I have. Gotcha. Yeah, downsizing. I saw some good reviews coming out early. Of that first impression wise, so yeah, that looks good. How about you, Edgar? Um, interesting that you mentioned Murder on the Orient Express. I'm actually an Agatha Christie fan. I've actually read the book, so I guess spoilers in my own mind. Um, I'm curious about that one. I saw the trailer. I'm not sure what to make of it, to be honest. But uh, but I am curious. Um, speaking of Matt Damon, I saw the trailer for Suburbicon. That actually looks uh, pretty pretty decent uh, is his buddy George Clooney directs that I think and written and by the Coen brothers written by the Coen brothers so well, there's a bit of a Coen brothers vibe in that trailer so I'm not surprised um, so that's October 27th if I have my dates right uh, that's a lot of fun Shape of Water obviously that's a little bit further away in December and uh, is there anything else coming out this autumn that yeah, that's that's there's other good stuff, but you know, not not more excited than that. Those would be those would be the two or three. Cool. Um, I had Suburbicon as well. That looks really good. Uh, that kind of I didn't even know what it was until about last week. So that's a nice surprise. Got Blade Runner 2049. There are only three of my honorable mentions that haven't been mentioned are uh, the Disaster Artist, which is the James Franco starring uh, live action. Recreation of the making of The Room, uh, that classic, uh, you know, terrible movie that everyone loves to watch, ironically. And uh, we did it. Me and Joel did that a few years back. And, uh, yeah, it is a fun viewing experience, despite being probably the worst movie I've ever seen, legitimately. So I feel like that movie could be funny, could be good. Uh, I want to see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. 
which is the newest movie from director uh, the guy for the guy that directed In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. It's his next movie. Martin McDonough, I believe his name is. And it's starring the woman from Fargo that's in a lot of the Coen Brothers movies. Uh, McDermott. What is her? Frances McDormand. And she puts up these billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I think uh, the police did something to maybe kill her son or something bad. And she's basically just taking up you know, she wants justice served for her loss, I believe is the story based off the trailer I watched a month ago. And lastly, The Killing of the Sacred Deer, which is the newest movie from director uh, Lanthimos, the Greek guy that did Dogtooth and Alps and uh, The Lobster. This is uh, another movie that looks incredibly weird and interesting at the same time, which he does very well. So, that's my picks. Very good. I saw The Lobster. It was very, very good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, great movie. Casey needs to catch up on it. Yes, I do. <laughs> Alright, let's talk about what else we watched. Edgar, as the guest, what do you got for us? Um, I went to see uh, Birth of the Dragon. Uh, I, I like uh, which is, uh, I should probably say what it is. It's uh, a fictionalized uh, representation of a of a fight that may or may not have taken place between a young Bruce Lee before he becomes a major television and, and film star and a, a uh, kung fu master, a monk, if you will, who comes over to San Francisco for mysterious reasons. And there's no sort of official version as to whether this fight happened or not, but apparently if it did, it was a major turning point in Bruce Lee's life. It sort of set him on the right path. Uh, And um, I'm a martial arts guy, love Bruce Lee. Uh, The the guy who plays Bruce Lee in this movie is actually pretty good. Uh, You really do feel like you're seeing the reincarnation of Bruce Lee, so that was a lot of fun. And the action's pretty good. I just don't think there's enough... A, there's not enough of it, which is weird, because it's a Bruce Lee movie. And secondly, the trailers and posters don't focus on this one character who has about 75% of the screen time. Uh, It's one of Bruce Lee's disciples who sort of becomes the middleman between Lee and this monk when he comes to San Francisco. And the guy... Not a particularly interesting character. His story is not particularly interesting. I, I kept wanting the plot to be about this battle of philosophies between this monk and Bruce Lee. And the movie keeps going back to this young character who just falls in love with a girl who might be sold to a whorehouse. It's really weird. I, <laughs> Life of me, I have no idea why they made that decision. Um, so, you... You, you can easily Netflix it. You don't have to rush. It's called Birth of the Dragon for those who are interested. That's, that is very disappointing. I've seen a lot about that film, and um, I was actually pretty excited. I'm not the biggest Bruce Lee enthusiast, but, uh, I mean, I've watched all the It Men, of course, uh, Bruce Lee's Master, and I, I love those. And so I was pretty excited for this film. Yeah. You've crushed my dreams. <laughs> when you, you get your money's worth. When you get your money's worth in the final twenty minutes, 
when the monk and, and Bruce Lee said, uh, we have some asses to kick here. It's also very funny in those final 20 minutes. They actually inject a little bit of comedy in there. But, yeah, it's just really bizarre script decisions in this film. You look at the poster, the guy that I'm referring to is not on the poster. It's really weird. Huh. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit about this movie. I didn't really know what it was about necessarily, but uh, like you said, I'll Netflix it when it comes out on Netflix. Mm. Casey, you watch anything? I did. I watched, uh, I'll start off with Train to Busan. It's a South Korean film. I don't know if either of you guys have heard much about it, but uh, it's... I, for some reason, I've been hearing it about it over and over and over again, and that I need to watch it from so many different people. Yeah, I feel like I've uh, heard good things too. And so mm-hmm. I watched it, and it is as good as everyone says. I really don't want to give it away because uh, for me, it was kind of a, a big shock to what the movie is about. But you can kind of say it's like Snowpiercer in a small kind of way. It does deal with a train. Um it is a must-watch. Everyone should see it. It's just, mm. it's fantastic. I, I loved it. I loved it. It's a horror film, I think, right? It is a horror film. Uh, I will say the makeup uh, and special effects are awesome. I mean, amazing. Oh. Amazing. I loved it. Interesting. Is it out? Is it in theaters? Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It came out in 2016. Um, like I said, it's a South Korean film, so it's not... Uh, from uh, an area that we would typically uh, hear of movies being so big. Um, well, old boy, yeah. True, true, uh, but on a, on a regular basis. True. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to check that out for sure. Isn't that uh, Korean movie came out last, The Wailing? Wow, oh. That made the rounds a lot. That's on that. I saw that on Netflix. Yeah, I've been uh, meaning to check that out too. It's just two and a half quite, hours it's long. It's pretty intense. Yeah, that one's in. That that one takes some turns and does not look back. That, that huh. one's pretty interesting. Yeah, I might have to get my South Korean fix on sometime soon. So that's that's a that's interesting. I I watched a movie almost as interesting as one of my top five most anticipated summer movies for some reason. It was uh, my number five in my official article I wrote for BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Baywatch. That was in your top five. Well, this was before the reviews started rolling in. I just, off the trailer, I thought this is going to be the next 21 Jump Street. This is going to be the comedy of the summer. Oh my God. It is horrendous. Really? It is bad. Uh, Yeah, I, uh, it was the only big release that actually came out on Redbox this week, so it was. If it wasn't for Alien Covenant and Guardians Two both coming out the week before, it could have been a main review on here. And thank goodness it wasn't. Uh, it is a comedy, or I think it is trying to be a comedy. I kept waiting to laugh. Not sure if I ever officially laughed once during the whole movie. Uh, it almost is too earnest. Like The Rock, The Rock's charismatic, of course. Uh, Zac Efron, he's ripped to shreds. You got the the girls in bikinis, but I don't even know what to say about this thing. Avoid it at all costs. Um, I mean, were you a big fan of the TV show? No, 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 no. I watched it a little bit here and there as a kid, but um, 
No, I was expecting it to be like uh, 21 Jump Street where it takes this random property and just turns it into, you know, an R-rated comedy and does its own thing with it. But it was like almost too <laughs> honoring the original show too much, which, I mean, the show was a joke, right? So I just, I did not understand this movie at all. Yeah, avoid it. Mm-hmm. Three out of ten for me. It was terrible. <laughs> What's next for you, um, Edgar? Um, this came out a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I was very, very excited to see um, Logan Lucky, uh, which is the uh, the return of, of Steven Soderbergh behind the camera, who infamously a few years ago said, "I'm out, guys. I'm retiring." And he did some cinematography. I think he I think he shot the Magic Mike sequel, although somebody else directed it. So it's not like he hasn't been working, but here he is back as the director of a movie, and it's a heist film that takes place in. Uh, now for the life of me, I don't remember what state it's in, but it's it's uh, somewhere in the southern United States. It's a lot of people have been saying, oh, it's Ocean's Eleven, but sort of like the redneck version. The characters actually are actually quite sweet. Uh, the movie is is. It's Soderbergh, after all. The movie's smart enough to never actually make fun of these people. Um, all the characters, there are like these moments where, okay, maybe they're not the brightest uh, lights, but then they'll still find a way to shine through in their in their own unique way. It's, it's very funny. I didn't think it was going to be as funny as it ended up being. Um, it has a wonderful, wonderful. It, it, its cast is so good that like Adam Driver is gives almost like the worst performance in the film because he's like the more subdued of the brother. And this is Adam Driver we're talking about. The guy's like a fine, fine actor. So like that's how that's how high caliber the acting and the cast is in this film. Um, does one of those weird things that a lot of modern movies are doing. I'll, I'll dance around spoilers, obviously, but I find a lot of modern movies are they take an hour and a half to do the plot that you think you're going to get, and then they take an half, another half hour to tell a this part of the story that you had no idea the movie was going to tell, and you're sort of like, did we really need this part of the story or not? It doesn't I didn't leave the theater thinking, well, that sucked because of the last half hour. But it's it's weird. You think it ends and it just goes on. And I find a lot of movies are are doing that. I'm actually a little surprised Soderbergh did that. But it's still it's still very very entertaining. It, it won't be in cinemas very long because it's like not making any money. Uh, so if you get the chance to see it, definitely or or Netflix it. But it's very very good. Logan Lucky. Yeah, I meant to actually. I tried to see this in theaters. I had a, like a small window of time I could have seen something but the show times didn't line up so I didn't get a chance to catch it but I'm a big Steven Soderbergh fan uh, excited to see this movie glad to hear it was good very good actually yeah I, I mean I had heard about it but I didn't know too much about it so it is good to know that it's a decent film alright Casey what's next for you the last film I watched was a documentary of course uh, called uh, Tower it's a documentary about the shooting at uh, Texas A&M. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's back in the 50s it is uh, when the shooting occurred. It was a mass shooting where about 11 people died or so. Yeah. Um, Didn't I talk about this the last time Edgar was on? 
I don't remember With that. Us? Maybe. Yeah. Did you? Uh, I mean, it's an animated documentary. Um, Thanks for listening. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had actually been to Texas A&M, and I, I, I went to the clock tower where this, this mass shooting happened. And uh, so when I saw the documentary uh, available, uh, I don't think I saw it on Netflix. I, maybe I did watch it on Netflix. Um, wherever I watched it, I... I decided, you know, why not? Uh, the film, the documentary was pretty good. Uh, the styling was nice. It's it's a different uh, type of documentary being mainly animated. Uh, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to watch it uh, if I was someone else. Really? But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't think it was amazing by any huh. means. I thought you would have liked it. It was good. More. What's that? I thought you would have liked it more than that. I mean, it was good. I would probably give it a 7.5 out of 10. But uh, I would, I, for me, I wouldn't recommend documentaries to someone unless I think it's uh, insane, insanely good. That's fair. That is fair. Here's an animated, uh, animated documentary. Well, first of all, an animated documentary is pretty unique and about that type of a subject. That must be, uh, I, I've vaguely heard of, I feel... Maybe maybe it was because Bob talked about this on another show. I feel like this is not the first time I hear about this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, if you're into documentaries, I, I definitely take a look at it. But if you're maybe even, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe because it is animated, and not many people have ever seen an animated documentary, they should watch it. Um, it is pretty different. Yeah, you know. you know what it is is the why it sticks out to me is because you know documentaries. A lot of them can tend to have the same cadence to them, the same, you know, delivery mechanism. And maybe if it didn't have this unique perspective with the animation, uh, hand-drawn animation style, it would be just another, you know, documentary that doesn't stand out enough to recommend. But I think uh, it adds enough to it to make it, you know, unique and maybe worth checking out. But, you know, to each their Yeah. yeah. All right. Um... I have talked about last week. I started catching up on my Ed Brubaker comic books. And uh, I did mention, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, Edgar, that this guy is right up your alley. He is... Uh, uh, yeah, I seems to. Like, something about film noir. Or... Yeah, he's a big noir guy. He uh, Do you read comic books at all? Uh, other, than, uh, <laughs> other than the James Bonds... Uh, not, not that much. I used to read a little bit more, but not, not so I'm going to have to say no, by yeah. and large. If you did, I would recommend this guy <laughs> for you. Uh, the two that I, uh, one that I finished and one that I remember finished stories now, the first one is called The Fade Out, and it's like a, a noirish mystery kind of thing where it's in old Hollywood. I want to say it's late 40s, and it's about this uh, this writer, this washed up writer who has writer's block, but he got his uh, his buddy who got uh, what was it when like the commies they say got wiped out of Hollywood? What was that era? Oh, blacklisted. Yeah, his buddy was a writer that got blacklisted, and he's secretly writing his scripts for him, and he's writing scripts for this movie when the the starlet, the the main attraction, she winds up dead one day. He wakes up at a, from a party the night before, finds her dead, and leaves. And then it's reported later that it was a suicide, which he knows is wrong, yada, yada, yada. And basically, 
the uh, the book is about him trying to figure out what's going on, and it, it kind of reminded me of you know the uh, Hal Caesar type era Hollywood with uh, like a nice noir mystery thriller. It was uh, it was pretty good. That was awesome. Yeah, I'd give that like an eight out of ten. And then the next one is called Velvet, and this one is more James Bondy actually. It's a uh, it's about a a spy this is not a spoiler because it's like the opening couple pages this spy you're following him along he's escaping from a mission he assassinates somebody and then just as about just as he's about to get into his getaway car he gets blown away by a shotgun and then perspective shifts to the secretary velvet who used to be a spy herself and she notices something was wrong so she's investigating this murder it was an inside job and she gets framed for the murder, and she's on the run from the, the I think it's called like the Arc Seven. It's like an MI6 kind of type deal, and uh, that's pretty good as well. Nice. I'd probably put that slightly ahead of the Fade Out, but both eight out of tens, just really solid work. I would recommend them. Uh, anything else for you as far as you watched, Edgar? Uh no well, no it's fine I I read Planet of the Apes uh, nice uh, the, the novels book. pardon me the novel yeah 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 uh very short read it's it's like barely 150 pages tells a lot of story <laughs> you know 150 pages it's pretty good it's pretty good I I enjoyed it um I did a uh, a franchise retrospective on for a for for a cut print film back when the uh, the light latest movie came out. At that point, I hadn't read the book. Having read it now, it's very interesting. If there are any listeners that that are familiar with the films and haven't read the haven't read the book, I would say it's, it's worth your time. It's really not going to take you much time to get get through it. But it's funny how there are scenes in the book that were transposed in some shape or form to different films. Uh, it's like whenever they made a new movie. And they ran out of ideas. They went back to the book and said, "Well, that's that's an interesting concept. Let's use that in the next one." So it's the the original film predominantly predominantly follows the template of the book, and yet there are these little episodes in the book that are not in the original film, but they suddenly show up in the later movies. Very very curious. Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even know they were based off of a book. Yeah, neither did I. But I mean, the films, I mean, some of the films are very good, especially, obviously, the newer franchise that is out with them. It might be worth taking a look at. Yeah. Well, if you, you'll, you'll read it in like two, three days, if that. It's, it's really short. It reminds me of I Am Legend. That's a really short uh, uh, book, ad- or not book adaptation, you know, uh, original material that was adapted into a movie and uh that's pretty interesting and, and well done as well so cool yeah i might have to check that out i won't been meaning to read the godfather book but i hear the movie's way better <laughs> rumor has it yeah rumor has it <laughs> all right let's move it to the fun part of the show well after this recap of the summer box office draft we'll have some fun but we have to trudge through these results that are you know, are they official? We'll never know, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here we go. Just pure numbers-wise, here's here's what we got. <laughs> Bringing up last place, 
is Bob Fallon with a combined net total of 523 million seven hundred thirty-five thousand. In third which place, is, if you don't mind me in, in, in interrupting, please. which is saying a lot about how how interesting this summer was. You are in last place, and you made a shit ton of money. Yeah, it's been it was an interesting year. It's actually wasn't. Well, there was someone that was kind of in the lead the whole way and never gave it up. Especially the fight for second place was pretty good, and even the winner is only two hundred million more than me. So it was pretty good. Probably one of our uh, closest races of all time. But third place, Joel Fallon. Fallon's been not doing too well for themselves here. Five hundred and thirty-seven million and seventy-nine. 790,000, excuse me. Second place goes to Mr. Edgar Chaput with 569,350,000. And uh, I think that's it, right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's the end of the thing. Uh, first place, once again, Casey Brady. Summer, <sighs> summer is his season. 700, $729,260,000. I mean... It's just. How does it feel? I feel bad because I make it look so easy, but it is so easy. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you you did a great job. Got to give it to you. You know, the interesting thing was like all your movies were out. I think by the end of June, so you had a big head start as far as time frame goes, and all of your movies, you know, made made money, all of them. So you you did a great job. I think, you know, you didn't pick the most critically acclaimed movies, as we'll get oh, to you, it in a little bit. But, but I didn't need to. I mean, if you yeah. look at if you look at the history of this competition, you don't need the best in terms of uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores. <laughs> well, you yeah. know what stings? You know what really stings? I remember when we did the draft. You and I, Casey, got in an, in in an argument over Transformers. I think we did. I was right about Transformers, and it still <laughs> mattered. You were right about Transformers. It only made six hundred million worldwide, which is crazy because the last one made one point one billion <laughs> and fifteen percent Rotten Tomatoes score for a grand total of twenty five million in profit. So, but just think, if I was right, how much farther ahead I would have been? Wow. Well. I did bring up, you know, how I was wondering to myself, how much are these Rotten Tomatoes scores affecting the end result? I was wondering that because mine were terrible. Um, so I put that to the test a little bit. So here's the as far as best reviewed movies, who picked the best reviewed movies? Edgar far and away had the best reviewed films. As far as his five official picks, with a combined or an average rating of seventy three point six, led by War for the Planet of the Apes at ninety three percent and Spider Man Homecoming ninety two percent. Next up, you I had quality films. Yeah, if this contest was about picking quality films, you would you would win it. But, Isn't that kind of what the fall box office yeah, draft so is about? That's now. why that's why you won last year, I suppose. Uh, Casey, second place in the reviews with an average of 63.2%. Joel was third with 59%. <laughs> and my average rating was 34.2%. 30, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
led, quote unquote led, by the Emoji Movie at 7%, The Mummy at 16%, and the aforementioned Baywatch at 19%, which it's a miracle that got 19%, by the way. Um, yeah, so I so the next step in my thing was who would win if it was just pure profit, take the critics out of the equation, just do the worldwide you know, money minus the budget times two in case he still would have won with uh, $1.16 billion. But I was close. I was second place in this calculation <laughs> with uh, $1.029 billion. And then Edgar was third with $677 million, and Joel was the last with $628 million. That's a big drop-off. You know, it's it's funny. Um, obviously, I, I listen to the show, and 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 uh, your your in the past few weeks, your final points seem to have like, gravitated towards you know the quality of this summer's films, and and I think Casey, you brought up some figures in the last couple of shows about how the box office numbers have actually uh, dwindled in relation to to last year, and isn't it funny? We, as we exited summer 2016, the consensus seemed to be, man, what a terrible summer. Yep. I saw maybe a third the number of movies in 2016 than it because it all looked like shit, and apparently it all was shit. This summer, it's week after week after week of solid, great films, and they didn't make as much money. Yep. Like, a drastic <laughs> difference, though. It's about 11 to 12 percent difference which is a huge amount when you're talking about billions of dollars that fascinates me is that because i don't know i don't want to be i don't like painting with too broad a stroke but and again here's the maybe the cynic in me coming out yet again but that almost tells me like man people just like to see bullshit and if you give them something that has a little bit of intelligence to it like Wonder Woman or War for the... Well, actually, Wonder Woman, I mean, fairness, made a lot of money, but uh, Dunkirk... Uh, Baby uh, Driver. War Planet of the Apes, uh, which, in fairness, did not end up being at all the movie that the title suggests it's going to be. If you give them something a little different, a little bit different, they're just not that interested. <laughs> they won't go see the movie. Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. I actually wrote an article last summer towards the end that was like, is this the worst summer ever? And uh, box office was way higher than this summer, which I think is one of the best ever. So it's hard to believe, but here we are. Best picks of the summer. Hard transition there. Best picks of the summer. I actually had the best pick of the summer. Despicable Me 3, even with critics, 61% Rotten Tomato score, made $495 million worldwide. Animation domination. That's right. Uh... That was the goal. I got one out of five correct. Uh, next up, second best pick of the summer. No, uh, no surprise here. It's Wonder Woman, with four hundred and sixty-seven million in profits for you. Joel got third place with the number one overall pick. Which you, number one overall pick? You got to get the t- one of the top two, or else. Yeah, that's what's fascinating. Guardians 2, the movie we reviewed in this episode, $379 million, so kind of a, a big drop-off there. Next up, Edgar, you're on the board with a good pick. Spider-Man Homecoming, 
356 million and it hasn't even came out in China yet. So Yeah. Well, there, there are a couple of things there. I mean, I'm, I you know, whatever. I just do this for fun, but certainly that is something that didn't play in my favor. I like for Spider-Man not to come out in China. That's like that didn't help. But I was if we're just looking at domestic, it, it made money. It made nice money. But I honestly legitimately thought I was going to make more than that. That's it. It seemed to peter out, a Peter. Uh, it, seemed oh, hey. to, um, it seemed to peter out like really fast. Like it made a stupid amount of money for like two weeks, and then like that was it. And people kept on going to see Guardians of the Galaxy. People kept on going to see Wonder Woman, especially, and Spider Man just sort of flat. Uh, I mean, this is the this is the third uh, version of Spider Man. I think people are just tired. Um, I probably too. And I, I, you know, setting aside the, the 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 China excuse, I actually thought that okay, so yes, it is the third iteration, but it's the one that's finally in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and and, and they the franchise right. is really good. Yeah, and it, it made good money. It it made me some money, but really not as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe the the sequel will do even better. Pick that next time. Uh, Dunkirk was the number five best pick, uh, 198 million. So another big drop off there, but that did better than I thought. Uh, and it actually, for a while, it did much better than I thought because of a typo, which made Joel for a blip on the radar right in there for first place. But uh, the worst picks. Let's get to the worst picks of this draft, and then well, we'll I think everybody has a few. Yeah, I think we all had some bad uh, picks here. But luckily for Joel, the biggest bomb of the summer was his reserve pick, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, with minus $146 million. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing even comes close to that. Casey, wish this wasn't your reserve pick, because the house, Will Ferrell's The House, made negative $39 million for you. Mm. The Dark Tower... Joel again, minus twenty six million. All eyes on me. Joel again, minus <laughs> <laughs> minus twenty one million. He finished in. Wait, was he set? Who, he no, was oh, third. Yeah, he, so that's he, weird. He had the bottom uh, three out of four picks, and, and I he had still the best pick. ahead of you. And I had the best pick <laughs> of the whole entire draft. Uh, and I also had two bad picks, about tied for fifth. Uh, Detroit. Minus nine, that was my reserve. And Cars 3, surprisingly, minus eight million. Really weird. Yeah, really that's weird. really weird. Animation damnation right there, you know. But, uh, yeah, let's move on to brighter times. The leaves are falling, and so is Casey's hopes in the fall box office draft. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, determined before we started the draft order will be Newcomer first. First ever fall box office draft for Casey. So he will pick first. Then I will go second because last year Edgar beat me in the fall box office draft. He will go last. It will snake around as usual. Five picks each plus a reserve. We also decided Star Wars The Last Jedi cannot be involved in this draft because it by itself will probably make more than any of our teams. And we will be tracking that as we go along. As well, so no Star Wars involved here, and also, yeah, just to set up the rules for people, if they want to. Can, 
can we defeat each other and a Star Wars movie? It's very. <laughs> this should be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a miracle because it's just such. It's like a you know iceberg straight ahead. We're the Titanic. We're all going down. Uh, also, just want to set up you know the rules for the fall box office draft. Same as the summer, as far as you know, profits subtracted by budget times two times the Rotten Tomatoes score. But for award season, we add. 10 million bonus for a minor Oscar nomination, 20 million for a minor Oscar win, 25 million for a major Oscar nomination, 50 million for a major win, 50 million for a best picture nomination and 100 million dollars if you win best picture. So we'll see how that all plays out. But Casey Brady or before we get into it, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the fall box office draft? You've never participated. Are you excited? So, as a newcomer, I'm looking at the summer box office draft, and it was very close. If we had had the award uh, type setup like we do now, that would have made the difference between first, second, third, and fourth. Um, so, I really needed to think about that as I was picking. And I didn't think about it, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of just rushed through and kind of ordered them based upon who's going to make the most money. Um, but then I've tried to revise it a little bit. Uh, I think you guys have the edge on me. You guys um, are used to this setup. I am not. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. So you're going with the fuck Oscar strategy. That's uh, intriguing. <laughs> slightly, slightly. I'm hoping I get one pick that is almost guaranteed a nomination. Uh, well, several of them should be guaranteed a nomination, but at least one of them has a big chance of winning Best Picture. <laughs> well, if I get to it. It's kind of tricky because, you know, we're in end August, beginning of September. A lot of times the frontrunners for the Academy Awards don't you know, turn their heads till after the Tellurides, the TIFFs, the, the film festival circuits and... You know, around October, November, you you might start to see the contenders show up. So, what's your strategy this year, Edgar, as the returning champion? Right, returning champion because I did pick a Star Wars movie <laughs> yeah. last year. Let's see how, um, how good you do without that. Yeah, <laughs> this this is not this does not bode well. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 tough. I find the fall box office draft uh, much more difficult. Than the than the summer draft because summer, okay, you got to sort of guess what's going to be a hit with critics, but you know a lot of these are, are money makers or they usually are. Whereas the fall, there are few surefire money makers, and you have to take in, take into consideration what you can earn on on Oscar night. So, and like you just said, it's sometimes it's really difficult to predict. Like, what's this year's Moonlight? I have no clue. I don't know. I, maybe we haven't even heard of this year's Moonlight. So there's some real surprises. I I find the fall box office draft is much more of a free-for-all yeah. than, uh, than the summer. Everybody's going to make money in the summer. Everybody's going to make some money. You, you, may, you finished last, and you made a lot of money. Somebody might get completely screwed in the fall box office draft. It's true. Draft. It's money. true, yeah. So. I completely agree. All right, enough pre-talk. Casey, you're on the call. All right. So my my first pick really comes down between two films. Yes. Uh, and, of course, they are comic book films. 
And I have to go with, do I go with my heart of, I think this universe has a more vibrant future in the long term? You're, you um, are insane. Or do I go with the tried and true, it's going to make Much a Much better of universe, yeah. Now, the problem is the critic score. And that's why I cannot go with my heart. I have to go with my brain, and I'm going to pick Thor Ragnarok. Um, uh, I hate you. Um. I mean, it's <laughs> there is a very minute shot. Uh, whoever picks the next one, which I feel like is an obvious pick, you can make so much money. Even though the Rotten Tomato score is going to be less than Thor, the revenue, I think, is going to be more than Thor. Um, and so we have to see which one outweighs the other. Yeah. But Th- so Thor is my first. Thor, pick. Ragnarok, clear and present, you know, obvious number one pick. Wish you would have screwed up, but what can you do? I wouldn't be so sure that I'm taking Justice League just yet. Oh, please don't. Leave it for me. I would beg you. <laughs> I'm still mulling it over. <laughs> Still mulling it over, because I do think it's going to get ravaged by critics. And I think that the problem it's, is, the problem is there's really, do I, do you go, I don't want to give away any of my other picks, but yeah, screw it. I got to go Justice League with the number two pick. I wish I kind of had the third pick here in this draft. But yeah, like you said, Justice League, it's it's going to be critically despised, I feel like. I thought, I don't, despite Wonder Woman doing so well with the critics and her being, you know, a big presence in this movie. It just feels much more like Batman v Superman than uh, a Wonder Woman vibe. And even I think it could be unfairly criticized to a degree. I think it looks terrible. I do not want this movie in my roster. Uh, What should I call my team this year? It's still animation domination because there's so many CGI effects here. So... Yeah, Justice League is my number one pick. And you know it's going to make over a billion dollars. Oh, so. yeah. It probably close to it, yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's. It, I mean, I, I, I agree. It's more of a, what are the critics going to say? I actually I haven't seen the trailer. I, I, funny enough, you're saying you're, you're, getting, you're getting a Batman versus Super vibe. I'm, Superman, excuse me, <laughs> vibe. I, I'm not. I am detecting a little bit more lightheartedness. Um, reshoots. For, uh, for very unfortunate reasons, Zack Snyder is not finishing the movie. And they got Joss Whedon working on it now, which which could be a good thing, actually. But like, didn't Suicide Squad go through a lot of reshoots, too? And, and that didn't turn out too good. So, yeah, this critically, this could be a, this could be a clusterfuck. But it's going to make money. So. Yeah, and I wonder how the styles are going to clash with Snyder and Whedon. Seems like, you know, Fantastic Four did something similar and... That didn't turn out too well, so I'm I'm screwed either way. If I didn't take it, it would you know get a seventy percent Rotten Tomato score and make a billion dollars. Now that I did take it, it'll get a twenty percent Rotten Tomato score and make like seven hundred million. So, Edgar, around the turn, you get two consecutive choices here. Yeah, and and I like it. He likes it a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder. Not not animation domination, but one of the few times, if not the first time, I'm going animated. Um, I'm going to take Coco 
which is a Pixar film. Now, we just did a recap of the summer draft, and Cars 3 didn't do particularly well. My suspicion is that it's because it's Cars 3, yeah. come on, guys. Um, Cocoism is, we're back to um, an original story, as far as I can tell. It's an original story. Uh, those have never seemed to really fail Pixar at the box office, nor critically. And while it's, it's obviously not going to get a ton of nominations, it's going to be nominated for Best Animated Film, and it will win Best Animated Picture. So I'll get a little bit even, a little bit more money. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm in, I'm in uh, new territory. I'm, I'm going animation, Coco. Yeah, that was the movie that I was debating. But I think Cars 3 ultimately did scare me away. The thing with Pixar movies is, yeah, they are typically well-reviewed and make a lot of money most of the time. Uh, but they also cost a lot to make. Like, look at Despicable Me 3. That cost $80 million to make, and it made almost a billion dollars so far. Whereas Pixar movies tend to cost $200 million to make. So you're kind of... At a disadvantage, but when they hit, they hit hard and uh, could do well for you. Me and Casey just have to hope. Uh, me and Casey have to hope that Coco is Kaka. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that good old that good famine wit. <laughs> What's your next pick? Um, I'm looking at one. Uh, I'm looking at two. Movies. I'll, I'll leave a little, a few other animated things for the for the children. <laughs> I'm going to, I am going to take one of Casey's most anticipated films. Don't think it costs a lot. Super hype buzz. I think it looks like shit. And not only is the critical buzz positive, it's tracking super well. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Ooh, okay. It's- it is the obvious uh, choice. So far, we've gone directly down the line of my rankings. So, you know, we're just living off of the pre-draft rankings here. But, yeah, that was a great choice. It comes out soon. It's going to have all fall to make money. People seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, and, uh, and for whatever reason, apparently, if the numbers are accurate, apparently this is actually going to make a lot of money. It's going to make a lot of I think it looks like garbage. Right? It's going to make like $60 million on opening weekend. Yeah, it's going to make a lot of money. It's not going to cost a lot of money. So nice It's going to get good reviews. It's, you're, it's a very, very good pick. Yeah. So, yeah, I was hoping someone would – Edgar would go off the board so I could get one of those two choices. But it's not to be should I get creative or should I go with my next pick. Get creative. <laughs> No, I can't do it. I'm going to go next up. It's obvious. It's a sequel. The second one made a lot more than the first. It's not going to cost a lot. Comedies are in dire straits. People are going to see it. It's Pitch Perfect 3. What? Are you serious? (laughs) The second one made a lot of money. Oh, gosh. Did it? I I didn't realize that. But, oh, my gosh. I love you. Oh, wow. That is the biggest surprise pick of the century. It's number five on my board, number one in my heart, (laughs) number three in the series. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can see it. I can see. I'm laughing because Casey's laughing. I know. <laughs> to me, <laughs> I, I, we'll see. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, don't forget the Oscar potential. Oscar no, that's a, that's the real laugher. But uh, you know, my strategy here is to throw off Casey so he makes two bad picks in a row. Go. There's a very <laughs> big chance. I, I almost. I mean. My next pick I thought was obvious, but it's going to be Kingsman. Uh, it is going to make a lot of money domestically. I think it's going to get very, very decent uh, reviews, at least in the 80s. Uh, maybe maybe touch the 90s, but probably not. Probably stick around the mid-80s. Um, I think it's an extremely solid pick. It's a solid pick. It's the wrong mm. pick, but it's a solid pick. It's number eight on my board. First one off the board for me. Okay. It's a good pick, though. Uh, but you have Pitch Perfect 3, so <laughs> let's, let's not too, put too much weight in I don't think you know how much money the second one made, Casey. That made <laughs> I'm Googling it right stupid now. amount of money. <laughs> I got to look it up. Uh, all right. Well, while you look that up, and also look up the Rotten Tomatoes score, see what that does. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for this next pick is a really, really hard one. Uh, I almost want to go with... I don't know. I don't know what I should do. Do I go for the award? Talk it bonus? through. Yeah. Uh, when you're at number three, number four, that's when you sort of got to like, can I make something on Oscar night? Yes, 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 yes. Because I will say, I'll just say it out loud. I am thinking Blade Runner, but I don't know how much money that's really going to make. Is it really going to make any money? I don't think it's going to, it might be nominated, uh, for a minor award, but it's going to make much money. I want to say no, it's not. Because you know the budget's going to be big. Yeah. It looks like it is. Anyway. So do I go... Oh, gosh. Do I go for the 100 mil? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I um, ain't helping your ass. How much, how much is a major nomination? $25 million. Oh, that's not much. Oh, gosh, you're killing me here. Hey, $25 million is what Transformers made you all together, so don't knock it. Do I know it's going to win? Do I? Hey, this is hard. Do I'm sorry I'm taking too long. Uh, let's do The Darkest Hour. Um, yeah, Drew Wright, uh, Gary Oddman. What? <laughs> Wait, what? Come, are you kidding? That's getting it's getting uh, a lot of buzz. I mean, you have Gary Oddman. Oh yeah, uh, it's definitely uh, already being said it's going to be a contender, um, it's a contender. especially this this early on. So it has it has some good potential. I mean, one Gary Oddman with the makeup of uh, what's his name, Winston Churchill, looks fantastic. I mean, I, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, especially after Dunkirk, uh, I think a lot of people are, are going to go see this. So, all right, <laughs> I, it's not the best pick I know, but I don't. I mean, I, it's definitely going to be nominated. I, I feel like that's a guarantee. Whether it wins or not, I, that's that's hard to tell. But. True, it, I guarantee it will be nominated for best picture. It will probably be nominated for best actor. Um, <laughs> it's going to make zero dollars. And I don't think it's a lock to win Best Picture. I, I mean, 
so you're I mean, as you said, it's the multiple words is the major thing. I think it actually could be also for our best director. We'll see. Yeah. Um it could even get some minor ones with best makeup. True. Uh, just, uh, I don't think it's a bad play. I think it's a bad play at the number seventh overall pick. I, I could agree with you. It's, it's, I feel like this is where I'm out of my element. I, I don't know. Uh, but we'll see what you guys pick. All right. <clears throat> Man, this is tough. This is tough. I didn't hmm, yeah I should have been thinking while you were talking alright well to buy me more time Pitch Perfect 2 made 287 million worldwide that's insane on a 30 million dollar budget and a 65% Rotten Tomatoes score alright you said how much 265 287 287 30 so million alright Say so, okay, you got a decent amount. You yeah. got a decent amount. Yeah, the first one only made 115 million worldwide. So well, this and it's going to drastically drop to under 100. Three is so. just going to double two. So looking at 600 million worldwide. That 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 that'll work out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, see what I'm debating against here. I'm not ready to go award circuit quite yet. Yeah, but. I'm debating between a small budget movie that isn't going to make a ton, but is going to make a lot, you know, it's going to be like the Annabelle creation of the fall, which did pretty darn well for Edgar at the end of August here. Or do I go with something riskier, bigger? Um, Yeah, I am not sure. So I need to have... What's annoying is I'm seeing a lot of movies that look really good. I just don't think moviegoers are going to respond. Yeah, that is a problem. All right, screw it. I'm diversifying my portfolio this season. I got to have a horror movie in here. And no, it's probably not the one you're thinking. It's Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. Yeah, I have not heard of it. What is it? I, dang it, I could have waited and got it later. Um, it is <laughs> a movie that costs like 3 to $5 million. It's Groundhog Day with someone reliving the day that they die over and over again and trying to figure out how to escape it. It's getting a lot of uh, early marketing. It's getting some good early buzz. Say it makes $50 million, it's still going to be profitable. No Oscar hopes whatsoever, but... Whatever. Mm. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. You typically well, go with the horror films, I feel so. Yes, yeah. it's, it's well. I'm I'm the horror guy when it comes to these box offices, and, and they've they've never failed me. Yeah, they really, <laughs> they really, you know, they tend to come through. So we'll see, we'll see. Edgar, um, two more picks for you. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I actually forgot I had two picks because I was thinking I just had one and I was sort of in your state of mind. Like, do I go Oscar? Do I not go Oscar? So I guess I can since I have two picks. Yeah. Uh, So I think I'm going to go I'm going to go big with one and then I'm going to start going Oscar. Um, My biggie. Biggie Smalls. Is going to be. uh, Wow. How the tables have turned. My biggie's going to be an animation movie. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a Lego Ninjago movie. Yeah, 
Yep. Ooh. That was my next on my list there. I'm. I, I would be nervous. How are How are the all the other Lego movies doing? Because they've released several of them now, and I feel like the original just Lego movie did extremely well. But have, have all the spinoffs been doing well? There's only been one other Batman. Lego Batman did pretty well. Uh, not as good as the Lego movie, but I do feel like uh, Lego Ninjago is huge with young kids. So I think it's going to do better than the Batman movie, personally. Which sounds counterproductive, but Lego Batman made $311 million worldwide on an $80 million budget. Okay. I'm looking at some mm-hmm. of these, and some of them, I guess, are just... Direct to DVD. Mm, okay. Because uh, there's a Lego DC Comics one. There's a couple of those. Um, but all right. Oh yeah. If you include those, yeah, they 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 can't stop making spinoffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lego video game franchise is out of control too. So okay, you went Lego, and what is your other pick? Did you say? So now I'm gonna. Wow, no, I'm saying I'm going to go Oscar. Who knows? This this might completely backfire. So this is where the draft gets interesting. Um, I'm I'm seeing okay box office, nothing spectacular, but I'm seeing good reviews and I'm seeing definitely a few nominations. I'm going to go Suburbicon. All right, Suburbicon. Okay, that has a, a decent chance. Yeah, I, I think, think I think, I think they love Matt Damon. They love George Clooney. They love the Coens. They wrote it. They love Oscar Isaac. Isaacs. Uh, is it going to do gangbusters at the box office? You know, we'll wait and see. But I think it'll be well reviewed, and I think I'll make some money when they, at least when they announce the the nominees. Well, will I win anything on Oscar night? I don't know, but yeah, that's a solid pick. I think it's gonna. Do decent at the box office. Definitely going to be well reviewed, and yeah, I think you're could even get a best picture nomination depending how good it is overall. So yeah, I like that a lot. All right, um, I'm going Oscars. I'm going the papers. Steven Spielberg, he's due for a win. You, you know Meryl Streep's nominated, probably yep, winning. You know Hanks is nominated. You know who Hanks is nominated, probably winning. You know Spielberg's nominated. Probably not winning, but uh, yeah, that's actually a pretty smart pick, actually. And it's probably going to get a bunch of minor nominations. And um, I don't know. I feel like Spielberg is due for a knockout, you know, Oscar push. This could be the one, or it could be like a total disappointment because it's not going to make any money, not get any nominations, and leave me with nothing. So that's the risk you take on these Oscar picks. But so, just to make sure, because I. I... Because I have – the post is the papers, right? Yeah, I don't know what the official title is yet. I think it's the post is the new one. Okay. So I feel like you, your pick shouldn't count. Oh, fuck you. I was going to be. Um, uh, gosh, when you were saying the papers, Spielberg, I was like, he's coming out with the second one? <laughs> Man, that sucks. Because <laughs> that was a great pick that I – oh, God. They, they must have uh, – Changed the title since I made uh, did my homework a couple weeks ago. Wow. Okay. Good pick. Thank you. That really hurts. You're going to you're going to get a lot of money from awards. Yes, I am. Suck on that, Trebek. All right, you got your last two official picks coming up, I mean, Casey. That really hurts. Okay. Uh, 
It is your darkest hour. I, so there's three. I'm surprised no one picked Blade Runner. Um, do you guys know something I don't know? I just think it's going to cost a ton of money, and I don't know. It's an unknown quantity how much it's going to make. So. Casey, yeah. how many times have I won a box office draft? <laughs> <laughs> you sitting there saying, do you guys know something? I don't know. Fucking shit. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. Mm, give me one second. I'll give you really ten. I don't care. So, I was going to pick the post and then Blade Runner. Now that throws everything out the water. Well, I um, don't see how it affects Blade Runner, but well, because Blade Runner is a very iffy pick, uh, whereas the post is a guaranteed. So now my next pick is not guaranteed, probably. Gotcha. So then I can't pick Blade. <laughs> um. I feel like Murder on the Orient Express is going to actually make a decent amount of money. It's going to be one of those one films uh, that most people don't see coming as being a box office success. Uh, But there are a slew of great actors and actresses in the film. So I need to pick Murder on the Orient Express. Um, Interesting. Wasn't even in my top 30, but... All right, that's fine, that's fine. Um, Now, here's where it gets hard... I have LBJ. That's, I mean, a Rob Reiner film. Come on. It should do good, right? Yeah, pick uh, that. Pick that, please. Oh, my God. Pick that. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got The Shape of Water. I don't know if that's going to make too much money. I think it's going to get some Oscar noms. Uh, do I go safe? Do I go big? I mean, I do have Thor, so I feel like I could go safe. If I go safe... <laughs> Snowman is extremely safe. Uh, that is just, like <laughs> it's too safe. Uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't. Snowman, really safe well, is in zero. No, 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 no. It's it's like for a box office. I don't know. I I wouldn't touch snow. Like why safe? How how is Snowman safe? <laughs> it'll so make it, zero it dollars. Doesn't call, it doesn't cost too much. It'll make a little bit of money, a couple mil. Um, extremely great reviews. <laughs> so, uh, out of profit, I will probably make maybe five mil off of it. Five million? Why would you pick yeah, that? Yeah, this is a dream. It's your pick, man. I won't tell you what to do, but but then it's going to get some Oscar now. Do you think? Uh, oh, it's definitely going to get uh, foreign film, best foreign film. Uh, it could actually win it. <laughs> That's a minor category. Is this a foreign film? It's yes, yeah, it's a French French film. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Sounds like a winner. Gosh, (laughs) this is hard. Nobody's picked a boo to a Medea Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Which will make money. In fairness, it will make money. No doubt. The Shape of Water. Let's take it. Go ahead. Shape of Water? Ah, It's such a bad pick. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It hurts. (laughs) It's not that bad of a pick. Um,. You know what? I, I think they. I think you'll make some money with Oscar nomination. See, <clears throat> Shape of Water. Now that we're sort of coming to the end of the draft, Shape of, of Water has bad and, timing, doesn't it? I, it's near uh, near Star Wars. It's counterprogram. Sure I don't know, man. Pick is in. 
Yeah, it's in. It's okay. in. I got it. I picked it. It's whatever. Okay. Well, since my my goal on this draft is to be diverse in my picks and not pick a bunch from one genre as I did in the summer. But I don't have any animated movies quite yet. This is going to be risky. I, I, I'm avoiding Oscar because it's so hard. This far out, who knows? I don't want to get stuck. I feel like the the post or the papers, whatever the fuck, is a pretty safe bet as far as Oscar yeah. night goes. Mm. But anything else, it's like, who knows? I mean, a lot of these movies aren't even out yet. Meanwhile, you got this animated movie I never even heard of until I did some homework a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to go with Ferdinand. Um, is that the... What is that? A John Cena voiced, <laughs> voiced animated movie based off a popular children's uh, book. Yeah. I don't know. I feel way. like I, you, you had me worried for a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad you picked that. <laughs> uh, it's going it? to be one of these low-budget animated movies. It might not have a good Rotten Tomatoes score. All animated movies make money. It just depends how much it costs to make and how good the reviews are. So now I have a question for you. If it somehow goes direct to DVD, <laughs> you do not get to use your uh, reserve, right? <laughs> No, that would be reserve gets tapped in. Yeah, that's my strategy here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I left. I went below my next highest picks. I had two ahead of it, but I want to diversify the portfolio. That's the name of my team this year. So that's what I did. Edgar, close us out with the, your last official pick and your reserve. Uh, my last official. Ah, I forgot about the reserve. Um. My last official pick, I am going to go with, um, I gotta stray, I gotta stay, remain true to my box office, box office roots. I'm going to go low cost, high profit, mediocre review. Um, I'm going to go Jigsaw. I knew it. Yep. That was one of the ones. You could feel it coming. Yep. There's only one spot left, and it's Edgar's pick. <laughs> What's he going to do? It's the horror movie. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Those, the soft movies, they made 16 of them. They all made money. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it's taken a little break, which I think is actually going to help. It's like we haven't had one in a few years. Uh, I, I saw the tri- – I'm not a big fan of the soft brand. I think I only saw the first one. It's adequate. Um, but clearly this thing has a fan base, otherwise they wouldn't have made five or six of them. And it's had a little break, and Jigsaw's back. I mean, Christ, Jigsaw is now, you know, he shows up in spoofs, so he's he's like the new alien, you know. So, um, although Alien Covenant did, did, did me no favors, so maybe this is a big mistake. Nah, um, Anyways. It's going to be low cost, low, low, low cost, so. Yeah. Um, man. Coco, it nin, Lego Ninja, Super Pecan, and Jigsaw. Am I going to need a reserve? I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, why not? Just just so it's sort of pseudo part of the game. I'll, I'll take Blade Runner. Fair, yeah. If you didn't, I would have. You have to. It's. Uh, I actually think it might get 
more Oscar nominations than uh, people may expect. So mm-hmm. we shall see. I feel like an idiot if it does. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> My reserve. I'm going to talk this out because I don't care if Casey steals anything that I, that I don't take. So do I want to go with Jumanji? Welcome to the Jungle. My Little Pony. <laughs> Or go Oscar with like a downsizing or Phantom Thread, Battle of the Sexes maybe. Since I only took one Oscar qualifying film, let's say the papers gets blown away in the wind and uh, and gets pushed into next year. I'll go with downsizing as my reserve, as the next best Oscar pick. All right. All right. Um... Well, obviously, I feel like you just wanted to read uh, the rest of your list off, but uh, I will go with Wonder uh, with Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson. Um, I think it could possibly do good. Obviously, we're probably not ever going to touch our reserves, uh, but this, this if is... it happens, it happens. I think uh, this actually could have been picked earlier by someone or should have been picked, um, but we'll see. It's, a, it's not Wonder Woman. You know that, right? Yes, it's a good crying film, I hear. You should have so. picked Flatliners, because that's what you are right now. <laughs> oh, oh damn. So. Uh, no, it would have been fun if someone took Jumanji, because I feel like that has a chance to make a couple coin. I don't think no. so. I no. don't think so, not at all. I, um, as charismatic and as charming as he is, I no longer believe in Dwayne Johnson as box office. Uh, he doesn't make that much film. Unless he's in a Fast and Furious movie. And yeah. He doesn't make that much movie, I'm sorry. That didn't, that, that didn't make any sense. He doesn't make much money unless he's in a, unless he's in a Fast and Furious film. Yeah, that's fair. It is, But they keep paying the big bucks to show up in these movies. All right, let's recap. We have, with the first pick in the draft, Casey. His team is Thor Ragnarok, Kingsman, The Secret Service. Off to a great start here. And then... The Darkest Hour, Murder on the Orient Express, and The Shape of Water, with Wonder as a reserve. Now, I don't think that's actually not that terrible of a team overall. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I think it's a good mixture of a lot of revenue as well as Oscar possibilities. Yeah, I can't really brag because I'm not confident at all this year. I hate my team. I'm just going to say it. The only... (laughs) <laughs> pick I like is uh, The Post, which I didn't even say the right title for. So, My team is Justice League, Pitch Perfect 3, Happy Death Day, The Post, and Ferdinand with downsizing as a reserve. Uh, at least I'll get a first pick next year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Edgar, heavy favorite in my opinion. Despite not having one of the big two superhero movies, he's got Coco, It, Lego Ninjago, Suburbicon, and Jigsaw with Blade Runner 2049 hiding in reserve. I think, uh, I, I definitely think you're going to make the most money in terms of revenue. Um, but I think I might be able to come combine with some Oscar noms. We'll see. Good. Yeah, I only got one. I mean, clear. I mean, well, co- again, I don't know why that is, but Pixar just seems to a get nominated and b it's not a lot of money. 
but it's still, you know, a category and a win. Uh, I feel that's kind of in the bag. Um, but other than that, I only have Suburbicon. That's pretty much it. I did not go, Os- unlike last fall, if memory serves, I didn't really go Oscars this time. Yeah, that's interesting. And you didn't go Star Wars, so... Sure. <laughs> There's that. Yeah, I think I think this should be fun. I don't think yeah, anyone lo- is going to blow lo- it out of the water. Sorry about that. I'm looking at 2017 animated movies. 100% you got that category. Uh, there have been no animated films this year that even can possibly stand up. To? To uh, Coco. Oh, Ferdinand, There's- brother. If, that- if Legend Ninja goes really, really good, it won't win, but there's another little 10 yeah. mil for it. True. Yeah. I mean, unless the Emoji movie somehow uh, carries it. Eh. You know, that, that, that could always win best. Uh, you really have no, you have no faith in Ferdinand, for real? No, not really. Uh, come on, John Cena, he's huge in the wrestling world. I'm trying to buy time as I look up the final results from uh, the last fall. Real quick. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not fine. Last, last fall was a bit of a... Last fall was the first time I played, but it wasn't the first fall box office draft, I don't think. No, me and Joel did a two-person dry run, ten movies each. And what do you know? The person that had Star Wars won. Who had Star Wars, Joel? I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, you remember. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was Joel. But, uh, all right, that'll do it for the Fallbox Office Draft. That was a lot of fun, as always. Edgar, we need to get your opinion. We're divided on a spring box office draft. What are your thoughts? I, uh, if I remember the conversation you guys had on a recent episode. Casey, you weren't too hot on the idea. Bob, you seem to use the argument of some sort of bizarro, obsessive compulsive disorder you have. <laughs> um, so, but I, I, I'm going to have to side with, with Casey uh, predominantly for the reasons he he shared. There's something special about a box office draft. Now, the summer, you got to do the summer because that's the moneymaker. That's like the real, you lick your chops with the box. <laughs> the fall, uh, you don't make as much money, but, you know, you try to mix it up. Although I, I say this and I'm contradicting myself because I didn't really mock to mix it up with Oscars, but you can. Um, spring, I feel it's it, it's it's just going to be, you got too many spinoffs going on. Um and and uh, you were saying something about the March Madness. Like that's that's the special thing in the spring, the March that's Madness, episode, which I think is is simultaneously wildly entertaining and absolute hogwash because it's <laughs> not based on talent; it's just based on what you guys like. Yeah. But that's what kind of makes it comical at the same time. So that's like the special spring thing. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Jury rests two against one. Thank you, Edgar. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, what is it? Did Joel? Uh, what did, has Joel email? Has Joel emailed us in tonight <laughs> about his opinion? No, I'll get his opinion. He's still down in the, down by the waves in the ocean, Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, yeah, he'll have a say as well. So maybe he'll tie it back up, and then uh, mm-hmm. who knows what the fuck we'll do. But yeah. I can't wait to hear what Joel's been up to when he finally comes uh, knocking back around this way. 
Well, we'll get into that in a later episode. For now, let's get to our final points and get out of here. Edgar, as a guest, you can go first with your final point. Oh, thank you so much. So gracious of you. <laughs> um, I will admit, when we were chatting last night, uh, I completely forgot about a final point. And then you said something that would made me go, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll talk about that. Um, tomorrow is September 1st. If you follow movies and you're interested in, in film festivals, uh, you got Cannes. You know, nothing can touch Cannes. Cannes is number one, the gold standard. But, you know, a, a very, very, very respectable second place is Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF. Uh, that begins on Thursday the 7th, so in a week from now, actually. And for the first time ever, I'm going. Uh, I'm not helping cut print film. I'm actually being loaned out to Goomba Stomp and Sorted Cinema, my old stomping grounds, if you will. You're in Goomba Stomping uh, Grounds. Pardon me? You're in Goomba Stomping Grounds. Very well put, actually. I like that. I like what you did there. Um, so I'm very excited. I've been to Toronto. It's a city I know a little bit, although I haven't been there in a while. But very excited. I really just want to – I'm not – you know, I'm there for five days. I'm not spending five days in a darkened room watching movies. But I do want to dip my toes. Very exciting. Uh, maybe I'll run into Leah Sidhu. Um, <laughs> please, if you're listening to this, Leah, just, you know – Let's run into each other on the streets in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> she listens. Mm. She listens to this show. Yeah, I'm three, sure she does. Three hours in. Uh, yeah, yeah well, I'm, you know, she's in a Bond movie and I'm a Bond fan. I'm sure she's listening tonight anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's really uh, a, it's a massive, <coughs> massive event. Having, with the help of, of Simon Howell and, and Ricky, Ricky D, who run Sorted Cinema and Gooba Stump, um, I sort of got a little bit of an inside scoop of how you buy your tickets and I, you buy a spot and you wait for your window to buy your tickets and then you make your choices and if something's not sold out, then you can buy the ticket. It's a very, very conv <laughs> it's a very convoluted system, but I think it's because it's such a massive event. I mean, it really is in second place after can. Um so it's it's so big that they really have this very elaborate structure for the ticket holders and the press screenings. And I was trying to pick my movies last night and give my list to, to Ricky and Simon, and I click on a date, and this is a press screening. Like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> when's the next one? When am I still in Toronto and this movie's playing? So should be fun. Hopefully it'll be fun. I'll get to see some old uh, colleagues, some old friends, and uh, – and uh, maybe give you guys the scoop whenever the next time I'm on the episode as to what a uh, what a real film festival is like. Yeah, I've done the Fantasia thing. I've done the uh, there's there's TIFF Light in Montreal, which is the Festival du Nouveau Cinéma, the new film festival with little translation, which is like TIFF Light. It's very good. It's very very good. It's in mid October. It's very cheap, very affordable. Great movies. But this is the first time where I'm like in the big leagues. Like this is a big one. So it should be interesting. Yeah. I, it's a bucket list item for me to get a TIFF one year. Um, yeah. My favorite film festival to follow. Just, you know, the critics as they report on what's good. Seems like, you know, there's at least five to ten great movies every year that come out of it. Uh, if not more, so that's that's exciting. And I'm looking forward to. It's my understanding your that the, uh, the the People's Choice Award apparently carries a lot of weight. 
uh, as far as what happens at the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, so I understand. I think uh, Mother is going to be premiering there. But like you said to me, that you know, a movie that's coming out in a week or two after that, not really something you want to waste your uh, precious time on down there. No, no, no. I, I've made my choices. My schedule is up, and uh, I'm not seeing uh, the int- the movies. I'm gonna get a chance to see do legitimately interest me, but but none of them are like opening wide this month or in October or anything like that. They're all sort of indie drama thrillers and stuff like that. Yeah. Any thoughts on Tiff, Casey? Yeah, I'm uh, extremely jealous. I, I know we we've talked about it many times that one day maybe we'll we'll get up there. Uh, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully it happens. Um, yeah, if it does, that'd be great. <laughs> a Redbox Report meetup. I'll, I'll get I'll get loaned out to to Sorted Cinema again yeah. and do a meetup. Yeah, it's got to happen one time. So we'll see. It could be twenty thirty, but it's my promise to you, listeners, that uh, one day it'll happen. All right, Casey, what's your final point? My final point, uh, as I was going through, uh, you know, the, the the draft and trying to figure out who, what I wanted, or uh, who I, what movies I thought were going to make a lot of money, I, I always think about. For us, it seems like the directors are one of the main draws. We always like to see who's the director. Um, sometimes who's the cinematographer. I think for the masses, though, it always comes down to the actor or actress. That's starring in the film. I, I feel like most people, that's what they care about. Uh, whether it's a Tom Cruise or maybe not Tom Cruise anymore, but um, whoever whoever's the big actor or big actress at the time, that's what draws uh, the masses. And I was thinking, well, who never really gets appreciated? What actor or actress is amazing, yet no one really ever talks about them? Even possibly the critics never really really talk about them so i was wondering what actor or actress do you guys believe is underrated interesting uh edgar (laughs) um (laughs) i'm trying to buy some time here two names that come to mind are channing tatum who (laughs) yeah really i think yeah actor he is i I mean he's he's good but i i I feel like he is a big draw though um i feel like a lot of people go Go see. Okay, so you're you're thinking like they haven't even made it big yet because the other name I had in mind was Tessa Thompson, who's been excellent in everything she's yes. been in. Uh, she's she's a, she has a wonderful supporting role in in Creed. Uh, she has a great starring role, I think, actually in Dear. Uh, the fuck was that thing called? Dear. Dear white black people. people. Dear white people. Yeah. She was great at that. She's she a has a great role in your number one pick, Thor. Yeah. Uh, but she's sort of still kind of sort of flying under the radar there. Okay. I mean, I, I, I could agree with you with her more so than Channing Tatum. Uh, I don't know. I think you are a good example of why Channing Tatum might be underrated, though. Because <laughs> you think he sucks, right? No, I don't think he sucks. <laughs> I, I, I think that he is a big draw. I think a yeah, lot of times when true. someone sees him uh, as a lead actor – uh, a lot of people will go see him. Uh, usually, it's more so, you know, females going. But uh, he is a big draw. I feel. I so my my pick uh, was Sam Rockwell. I feel like we have talked about him a lot, and he's a very very established actor. Yeah, but he awesome. never ever gets the credit he deserves. Whether it's in Moon, which was a fantastic film where he is incredible. 
Um, and yes, it did get uh, good reviews, and I think he was awarded for uh, 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 some small some small nominations. Definitely, I don't think he's ever had an Oscar nomination. Um, but in some small award uh, ceremonies, he's gotten some things, but never much. But Moon, Seven Psychopaths, uh, uh, Lawn Dogs, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Matchstick Men, uh, kind of running teenage, out of films. Teenage Mutant uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, uh, The Green Mile. I mean, he's been in... The list goes on. <laughs> yeah. Just promise. Um, I promise. But so he's been in all these films, and he does a extremely good job in most of them. Uh, yeah, maybe sometimes he has to slip up here or there, maybe like an Iron Man or something. Uh, but he's a really, really, really good actor that no one ever talks about. Um, and if I see him in a film, I actually would go, you know what? I kind of want to see that uh, just because he's in it. I think he's that good of an actor um, that people should go and seek him out. Well, he does get a lot of work, and in, in, in to 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 counter your point, he is popular in so far as certainly as the artists that make cinema. Like he's very much in demand. He does work a lot, but in terms of the public, I mean, if you say Sam Rockwell, most people might not even uh, know who he is. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. And if you look at nominations, uh, he, he's never had an Oscar nomination. Um, in any other big uh, award ceremony, he has no nominations, um, which is just insane. I think he definitely deserves way more recognition than he gets. Yeah, I completely agree. That's a great choice. I love that guy. He's uh, he's one of those guys that, like you said, you I don't really think about him like, oh, when is a Sam Rockwell movie going to come out? But once I see a movie has him in it, I'm like immediately excited to see his performance and, and what the movie is going to be. All right. Well, so, okay. I, I'm just looking. He, he's, he has gotten a screen actors guild award nomination in a Berlin film festival, um, award, but those are his two biggest, uh, which they're, they, I mean, not, not that they're small, but I mean, I feel like he deserves a lot more. That's fair. Um, my patented answer Anytime I think underrated actor, but this is more like three or four years ago. He's had a uh, pretty good uh, couple years here. Jake Gyllenhaal. I just feel like, um, you know, people, at least like I said, three or four years ago, didn't appreciate, including myself, how just how good of an actor he was. But uh, I'll say Michael Shannon as my pick. We mentioned okay. him earlier in this podcast. I mean, he has a distinct look, incredible actor. People might know who he is when they see him. I'm not sure how many casual moviegoers would know him by name. Uh, but he's just, uh, I mean, he's in all of like my favorite director's movies, Jeff Nichols. He's, he knows how to pick a good, uh, a good script or, you know, get attached to a good project. Even made General Zod kind of passable to an extent. <laughs> I think he's, uh, he's, he's my pick. He's my man. Uh, I could completely agree with you. I think uh, he needs to be more well-known. He is a fantastic actor. I think a lot of critics, uh, we all see him and uh, we appreciate his work, but I, I think he does need to get out to the masses. Uh, he is a, he's fantastic. 
Cool. Well, that was fun. Um, my final point. Well, first, before I get to my final point, just want to follow up on a previous follow, uh, final point and say that I did sign up for Movie Pass. We talked about it a few weeks back. Still waiting for the the card to come through the mail, so I can't use it yet. But I'm looking forward to checking it out and reporting back how that goes. Did you sign up, Casey? I have not yet, but I will be. Oh, cool. Yeah. Too good of a deal to pass up. Usually when it's too good to be true, it usually is, right? So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But this final point for this episode for me is uh, I just want to talk about the... Did you guys see the BBC came out with a list of the top 100 comedies of all time? No. No. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to read all 100. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't know. Just I figured maybe I'll read the top ten, see what you think, and then maybe get some of your favorite comedies of all time. Uh, His Girl Friday's number. F- all right, I'll do the top fifteen because it's pretty, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Number fifteen, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I just talked about was a big blind spot for me a couple weeks ago. Number fourteen, His Girl Friday, great movie, caught up on uh, not too long ago. To be or not to be. By Ernest Lubitsch. Mm. Number 12, Modern Times, Charlie Chaplin. Number 11, The Big Lebowski by the Coen Brothers. Number 10, The General, Buster Keaton. Number 9, This is Spinal Tap. <laughs> Number 8, Playtime by Jacques Tati. Ah, blind spot. Yeah, I gotta check that one out too. Number 7, Airplane! Exclamation uh, mark. The Zucker Abrams movie. From the 80s. Number six, Life of Brian. Number five, Duck Soup. Number four, Groundhog Day. Number three, Annie Hall. Number two, Dr. Strangelove. And number one, which I mentioned in Top 5 Blind Spot in my number one category, Some Like It Hot by Billy Wilder. Mm, a lot of blind spots for me in that top 15. Yeah, same. I, 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 documentaries... And comedies. I, I, I have to make the time for those two genres. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of blind spots for me, too. Yeah, same was... here, which is surprising. I feel like we watch a decent amount of comedies, but yeah, most of them I have not seen. Yeah. Well, how about favorite comedies in general of your own? What would be on your list if you could submit to them? Casey? Uh, for me, I mean, definitely the Big Lebowski is. I've I've praised it uh, as much as I possibly can. I really enjoy it. I'm surprised. Uh, I wonder if it's even on the list. But Dumb and Dumber. Um, yeah, that's I good. I feel one. like that's that's so good. Uh, you laugh. I mean, it still holds up. It's still so funny. Um, well, uh, let's see. Maybe I would probably do maybe Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman. Um, that's a good choice. One of them, so I, I would need to really look though, uh, and try to try to create a list. How about you, Ed? Um, I'm trying to think of some some my favorite comedies that are not on the list. You just uh, read. I've always been a big. It's it's sort of like a horror comedy, but I've always been a big Ghostbusters fan. I think that is an absolutely uh, uproarious film, and I've seen it God knows how many times, and it still makes me laugh. 
Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. I, I, I think the first Anchorman is sort of, I don't know where, if it's on that list at all and where it is, but I think time has been, like, it was super weird when it came out, but time has been very kind to that, and it is one of those movies where it's almost when you don't know what you're going to get, you're like, what the hell is this? And when you rewatch it and you know what you're going to get, it's actually very funny. Um... Again, I, I I would have said something like Some Like It Hot. I would have said something like His Girl Friday. Uh, but I would have said The Big, <laughs> the big Lebowski. Uh, again, I, I think this is showing that I just haven't seen that many comedies. I would say um, I've always had like a soft spot for the first Ace Ventura, uh, which is sort of the movie that introduced the zaniness, the insanity that was Jim Carrey to the world. Um, those are among some of my favorites, along with a handful of the ones that are already on, on the list. Cool. I'll give a little makeshift top five. Um, number five, maybe Caddyshack for me. Uh, number four, The Wolf of Wall Street, if you can consider that a comedy. I think it's pretty funny. That is surprisingly fun. Movie. Number three, Borat. That's a cliched choice by now, but it's still pretty funny. Uh, mm. Number two, Dumb and Dumber, and number one, Anchorman. I think it's <laughs> yeah. the funniest movie ever made, but not everyone agrees. My wife no. hates it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, remember, I remember watching that for the very first time. I, I could not, I, I couldn't understand the rhythm of the jokes. There's yeah. a lot of weird things in that, in that movie, true. but once it's sort of just, you just buy into it, it's almost genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. It's something that gets better every time for me that yeah. I watch it. So it's like a wine. Yes, like a fine wine. Coen Kill, Brothers movies are kind of like that too. Big Lebowski and all that. So, all right, that'll yeah. do it for the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Edgar. Can people? Pleasure. What can people catch you doing over at CutPrintFilm.com? Um, well, I, I'm I either it's a if it's not a franchise retrospective, uh, which I'm taking a little break from that because Planet of, I did the Mummy from the 1940s and Planet of the Ape like back to back months, which was a stupid idea. Uh, so now it's just a little bit of film noir. Although uh, October <clears throat> last year I did Alien. This year, I'm doing the Halloween series nice. with the Rob Zombie movie. So that should be kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, and film noir. And uh, hop over maybe to GoombaStomp.com in September if you want to follow my writing. There, there won't be a whole lot, but, but some TIFF reviews there. Sounds good. All right. Well, you know where to catch us on the Internet. You can email us, theredboxreport at yahoo.com, as Edgar did a few weeks back. Appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter at The Red Box Report. I'm on Twitter at The Oriole Report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube. And as always, have a great day. There's a port on a western bay and it serves a hundred ships a day. Lonely sailors the time away and talk about their homes and there's a girl in this harbor town and she works 
Laying whiskey down They say brandy Fetch another round She serves them whiskey and wine They say, they say brandy You're a fine girl Say, brand new, gonna find you. 